Welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have Josh Torres. I'm glad this is going to be an uh, easy episode. No big games, no new news. That's, it's going to be easy. Yeah, very straightforward. We have Adam Vitali. Hello. We have James Galizio. Boy, am I glad no RPGs came out this week. We have Chow Min Wu. You sure. And joining us, we've got Colin Black. Hashtag Clive Hive. Batman. So it's it's the usual crew here today. Uh, if you know we're being a bit coy for no good reason, but obviously the big talking point for this week's podcast is going to be, of course, the release of Final Fantasy 16. We discussed it very briefly with the demo release last week. We kind of said, hey, we're going to discuss the game in full when it launches, you know, a couple days ago. And just talk about it this week. We have brought Cullen Black on board because he was our main reviewer for Loop Eight: Summer of Gods. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we're uh, gonna do. Uh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm here to talk about Loop Eight, Final Fantasy or Sixteen. Like <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think most everyone here has at least dabbled a little bit in Final Fantasy Sixteen, um, except Adam. Uh, we also have pinged uh, Alex Donaldson. He also covered the game for VG247. He'll either be here this week or potentially next week. Uh, but Colin wrote up a review for us on the site. Uh, James has also played through the game. I know me, Josh, and Chow have also, since the game has launched, put differing amounts of time into it. So we're all pretty much on the same page here. So, of course, we're going to open up with Final Fantasy sixteen. So if all five of us, plus Adam, are playing Final Fantasy sixteen. Cullen, I'm going to hand the microphone over to you to start with, and to cue you up, to tee you in, I'm going to say, what makes you the most qualified individual on staff? Is a, there's to... a, a job interview now. Okay. <laughs> there's like a post-mortem job interview. <laughs> so, um, my mom likes me next. <laughs> Okay, being silly, like, so Final Fantasy 16, that's a big game to review. Um, Just where, when you got, you know, you knew that you were going to cover this game for us and went into it, uh, just what were your expectations going in? What's your history with the series? Were you just kind of going to go with the flow? What, what was your thought process as you as you booted up this game? Uh, it was, it was very interesting. Um, I, I, I don't know how much this is, you know, I don't think I stated this in my actual review itself, but... Uh, Fun fact, I have never reviewed a brand new AAA game before, like, ever, and I've been re doing reviews for, like, over half a decade now, I think, It so I, I was pretty surprised. Uh, what what about on your, like, on your YouTube channel? No, I, I, mm. I well, typically my, my channel isn't big enough to get those AAA game codes, but, uh... So yeah, um, in regards to Final Fantasy in general, uh, I'd have to say I think my my first ever Final Fantasy game was when I was a kid, and I got Crystal Chronicles for like Christmas, and then I proceeded to just not pay attention to the series outside of like Kingdom Hearts like, until I was a teenager. I think if you're starting with Crystal Chronicles, I could see why that might be the outcome. Oh, I love Crystal Chronicles. I, I don't have enough time to get into how much I love Crystal Chronicles, but it. That is like the perfect thing to hit you hard if you're a particular kind of person as a kid. It, it was, mm -hmm. it's great, but that's besides the point. Um, I, I was pretty late in jumping into Final Fantasy. I think I played seven for the first time when I was, uh, I want to say like seventeen. 
that was about 10 years ago. So I don't have was, this like lifelong love of Final Fantasy, but I do genuinely love the series. Was seven your first mainline? I think it was. Uh, seven was my first mainline and four was the first mainline I beat. And I don't really care for four too much anymore. <laughs> That's a maybe a heretical take. Uh, but, I think I, I think here there's a few people that think that five and six are the better entries for the SNES. Oh, they're, way, they're way better. Yeah, no content. So. Best. Uh, but yeah, so jumping into 16, uh, since this game got announced, uh, maybe it was just because it's like, oh my God, a PS5 game, an actual PS5 game. Yeah. It's <laughs> you're not what's coming wrong. out. Uh, it got me really excited. Uh, I was sold pretty much right away because another thing about me is that I'm a big Ivelisse head. I love the Evil East games a lot, particularly like as cl the closer you get to Matsuno in that regard, like Final Fantasy Tactics, the more I kind of like vibe with that setting and that tone. And that, I that remake I is coming out any day now, any day now, every single time we have a direct or a showcase, I'm like, this will be the day Final Fantasy Tactics comes back. This is going to be it. And it never happens. Never. No, I stayed up till 9 a.m. that day. Because I keep thinking Fire Emblem 4 news would come in. Oh yeah. Final <laughs> Fantasy Tactics, Fire Emblem 4 remake, the eternal uh the eternal release. Like it is rough to be a strategy RPG guy right now, particularly particularly like me, because I, I I all would have been okay if that front mission remake actually came out this month, but it didn't. And I'm I'm seething and I'm coping so hard from it, and it's so sad. But as someone who is such a big fan of Final Fantasy Tactics, 16 felt like home. Like, I I, I feel like the game kind of has a... It, it definitely adores that game over all else, and I don't know if it hits all of, like, the uh, highs with that kind of, like, political intrigue of its narrative, but it just felt like a modern take on that kind of tone and setting, which I really appreciated. Like... Also, I, I love basically all Final Fantasy games. I could probably give defenses of almost any of them that aren't three. But so like I was already primed to just have fun with this game. But after putting like 65 hours into it for my like month working on it, I just it's got issues. But oh, it's it's one of my new favorites, I think. I, I think the game would have been perfect if there was less padding. <laughs> I, mean, I think <laughs> I think some people would say it's sometimes less is more. I don't know. That's that's for me. Oh, let's get into it. Like, how, how far are you, Chow? And like, what what do you think so far? Like, uh, this follow up on like, what do you mean by padding? Uh just the side quests. It's like, if it's not like a character that you know, usually the side quest doesn't lead to anything interesting. Or maybe it's just how the side quest is done. It feels like it's just quest taken from MMOs. I mean, they're I don't know from Square Enix. You know, they made one of the best MMOs of all time. You know, you would think the side quest could be a little bit more engaging, I guess. Like, I, I feel like the only good side quest I did so far is from that really racist town, if you know what I'm talking about. The one by I, near the shore. I know what you're talking about, because those, those, those side quests in that area are, like, the most memorable to me. And I wish there was sort of more of that. Uh, well, generalizing so for, a bit, uh, so obviously this the a lot of the talent behind Final Fantasy 16 is from the talent that rebooted final fantasy 14 who here has put significant time into 14 because i'll say i haven't me but james yeah. is probably going to beat us all in this regard i, know james I heard his playtime last night yeah literally last night uh 
we were in a voice call with a couple of friends and uh, came to the realization that uh, so I have like 2,650-ish hours in, in the game. A, a buddy of ours, she has like 2,880. And I was like, oh, wow, that's we're not too far off in playtime. And Colin's here like saying, I have 200 hours in the game. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and that's yeah. a lot for me. A, a, a mere 200 hours. A mere 200. That's a respectable me... amount of time. Oh, I'll okay. Well, Update on that. I actually have 378, but still. I take a mere 378. I think yeah. I have 500 something hours. The last time I remember something. Once you, no, once no, you go no. over 200, it's not degenerate hours now. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I've read a few things where, like, Apparently, there are some Final Fantasy 14 references that, of course, going over my head. But even so, some like mechanical things, like talking about side quests, uh, the fact that you have to confirm which items like you're handing in apparently is like straight from Final Fantasy 14. Yep. Like UI or UX. So I'm like, oh, okay. Because that that this is a... game. Go ahead. This game is just straight up built on top of the uh, the framework that 14 made. Like it's obviously like greatly like. Um, upgraded in pretty much all respects, but it's like like Bedrock is legitimately the same as 14. But before we yeah, go, into like, whatever, uh, go ahead, Josh. I, I like uh, it's just generally like even for people who like don't play 14, if they like ever seen like some gameplay or shots of 14, like they'll be the first first to tell you spectator. It's like yeah, this game looks like 14, like because of, like a lot of the like the the. The typesetting, the presentation, the font—it's like, yeah, the, the what what you would think of like 14's aesthetics, like presentation-wise, like this—that's the represented in this game, like just at first glance. If you're if you've if you even have a smidge of like familiarity, that like how, how 14 looks. So before we go into like the side quest, which Chow just opened up into taking a shot at it, let's talk about just like the general like narrative premise, because before. The uh, in the marketing cycle for this game, uh, Yoshida and Takai and the whole development crew basically stated that they put a very strong emphasis on wanting to tell a good, complete, full story. And I even kind of thought as I was playing through this game, I, I obviously am comparing and contrasting playing Final Fantasy 15 versus 16, because of course you're going to do that. And the one thing that kind of caught my like mind is that how Final Fantasy 15, I don't remember exactly the order of things that came out, but it was like a messy launch in terms of like having the Kingsglaive movie, having the anime, having like the uh, all the other like media tie in events or whatever. Where here it's just kind of like it's a singular product with like a, there's like an art book and there's like obviously the you know, way too many trailers. But I do kind of like how it's just compartmentalized into like a single focused thing rather than this like scatter shot shotgun blunderbuss of ideas kind of all over the place that was my impressions going into final fantasy 16 is that it just seems very coherent in terms of being what it wants to be so cullen as you played through the game you said you were like excited and you know eager from the jump uh and you said you were really kind of enthused by the more pure fantasy setting of this it doesn't have quite the uh, the same touch of magitech or modern setting as like 13 or 15 had so what was your impression like just going through the story of this game and i guess i'll state clearly that we're going to be no spoiler only things that were kind of introduced in the premise or the trailers at this point in time so i i, I apparently uh 16 story is a bit contentious hmm. um if you just kind of ask around to different reviewers uh, without getting too much into it, because you really cannot, uh, like, have a nuanced discussion on the way this game, like, succeeds and fails uh, at this current point without spoilers. 
I did everything pretty much it for me. Uh, I totally get a lot of the critique itself, but I do think this is one of the most consistent in quality from like gameplay to narrative Final Fantasy we- game we've gotten since 10. It because I was thinking about it and I feel like every game since 10, not counting the MMOs or maybe still counting 1.014 has just felt like whatever vision they originally had got messed with at some point. Or something got in the way, like either like technically or hardware wise, like something was compromised in all of these games. And this does just feel like everything they wanted to include, they got in there. Everything is pretty polished. It just, it feels like a complete vision in a way that we have not seen the Final Fantasy series kind of have in so long. Like two decades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, a Final Fantasy game not stuck in development hell. Basically, there's there's no like, oh, they were gonna go this direction, but they ran out of dev resources, or that was a dropped idea, or this was gonna be part of like some greater Fabula Nova Crystallis mythos. Oh wait, that was I, a bad I idea. Uh, I think that's kind of giving it like every video game made always like has a, a planned document, and they and they choose what features they're gonna drop and what features they're gonna. I mean, there's no video game out there that's like, oh, oh yeah. That, yeah, it's de- definitely gonna have hundred percent of like. What yeah, we're not saying the there. cutting through. We're not saying the cutting room floor doesn't exist. Yeah, but what I was trying to get at is, I think because obviously, yeah, there's stuff that they probably wanted to do but couldn't because a uh, dev cycle got a bit rushed at the end or what have you. That, but I think that this one works around it in a way where most people probably won't think, okay, I can see where you guys got completely compromised and something had to shift. Like, 12, for instance, that was originally a Matsuno game, and then he had to leave the project. And then, while 12 is amazing, and I love 12, it is very obvious that, like, he had, like, a series of ideas and story beats that were implemented, and then you can tell where other people kind of came in to try to connect the dots. Or you look at 13, which they had all these lofty ambitions for that, but then the hardware of the time kind of limited them to really just like um, compressing the scope of that game. And that's why like people call it a hallway simulator because they well, kind of well, couldn't do too much. I think 13, my opinion, you know, not being, you know, behind the curtain in terms of what they knowing what they intended, but it seems like they had this grand ambitions of having this multimedia project, how they said there was going to be like three games, a movie, a book or whatever. And like, they're like, oh, wait, no, actually, it's going to be just the games. Well, actually, it's going to be two games. Well, actually, one of those games is Final Fantasy 15 now. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> so it's just like they had like this giant ambition. And then they're like, oh, wait, that's actually a uh, way more difficult than we thought it would be. Yeah, I'm and glad you... that project's over. <laughs> <laughs> you can there. There's plenty to be said about Yoshi P. But I will say he is incredibly uh, good at keeping a project together and like making sure everybody stays on budget and working with what they got. The 14 expansions have really shown just like how competent of an organizer this guy is. And I think it does show in 16. What are your thoughts on the... uh... The, the combat, the gameplay, the, you know, there's a lot oh, of discussion about this is not Final Fantasy or this is Final Fantasy or this is an action game or I missed turn based or ATV or whatever. Oh, um, I knew it was a Final Fantasy game when I booted it up and it said Final Fantasy in it. Oh, I was going to say like uh, when, but... when the box art said Final <laughs> Fantasy when on the, it. <laughs> when I bought a game from Square Enix called Final Fantasy, that's when I knew I bought a Final Fantasy game. But like I I'm a big Devil May Cry fan. 
Uh, I love action games. I love character action games. I I have my specific preferences on what makes those games good. And a lot of it boils down to how does it feel to play? Does it feel good? Do your moves connect in satisfying ways? Um, And this, like, I think the last character action game I played was Bayonetta 3. And I think that game is not great. And it doesn't feel good. And a lot of it just does not work. And then you have the last good, really, really good feeling action game of that style in the last like five or so years was Devil May Cry. But that game's kind of old by now. Believe it or not, the game's like five years old. So don't, don't tell well, me that. Yeah, well, it came out in early 2019. So it's closer oh, to like okay. four and a half. OK, that's uh, basically 2018. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like I, I realized while playing this, it's like, oh, my God, we're so back. I I don't terribly mind that it became an action game because I feel like with how the series has been going in the last decade, like the writing has been on the wall and I've been able to make peace with that. And I do hope that at some point square can make some kind of like spin-off final fantasy series to appease the, uh, turn-based fans out there. Just, just, just put a sticker on a box for Octopath Traveler two and have it say final fantasy 17. <laughs> yeah i i i i just don't think octopath traveler is is like what the turn-based final fantasy people are looking for honestly because it's basically a saga game yeah i mean 13 feels like a saga game to me because you get full hp back after every battle which is like a saga game i mean i know i know (laughs) but it had that one link all right, um, one. That's all we need. So, you know, so I, I, I have one question: Why is this game under so much scrutiny for being an action game when Fifteen is also an action game in a way? That's a good no, point. It's like, it's like I, why? I, it's it's also weird because it's like from both sides, right? Because I, like on some point, like some fans are saying are doing that, but also for the devs because they call they label this as like the the first true action RPG. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. As someone that's almost finished the game like basically just about done with it i think and this is i guess might be a larger discussion for me i think this game would be better if it was either went full like 100 the way on action or if it was more of an rpg because like as much as i like this game and i like i agree with most of like colin's review personally but I feel like it's in a bit of a no man's land where it's like doesn't feel quite confident about what it wants to be, at least from my perspective. I, I agree with that, too, because I, I've learned that, like, the less I played like a Devil May Cry game, the more I like it, because now I'm just like doing skill rotations off of their cooldowns and just like being and just like shredding stagger meters. And like I basically found like a, like a complete loop on like what my things are. And like it's way different than how, how I would play a Devil May Cry game. Because of how yeah, the game, um, there is exploits, uh, how you can exploit systems in this game, um, and like I guess like the the thing that I, I actually want to get to on top, like it doesn't really matter in my in my opinion if like if you can consider this an RPG or non RPG because everyone will have like their own thresholds on that and there's like no right answer to that, but like I think the way that it tries to incorporate like RPG elements into it is like very shallow and uninteresting. For example, like the accessories that you equip, um, like 
for like skills specifically, like those are all, are just gonna be minor damage increases or like and or like uh, reduce like cooldown on them. Reduce cooldown no, of a single spell. Yeah, of a single spell by like three seconds. Three seconds. Yeah, and 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 it's not it's like there's nothing like in the accessories that really makes it feel like you're customizing your playstyle. It won't like give additional properties to like a like a, a skill. Like say, hey, like instead of you fi- you firing off like one fireball, it's like two fireballs or three fireballs now that'll home in. Like no, there's it just, no, it just recharges like in twelve seconds instead of fifteen. Yeah, and then like and, and everything and all the all the things that like you're equipping on your character outside of those accessories, like they don't like really have any additional effects outside from making the number go up. Uh, like uh, like all the all the all the upgrade paths are very linear, and it's just like it's just making the number go up and not giving additional properties to like make the gameplay more varied and more customizable. So it's like it's one of those things that it's trying to contend being like should we be an action game or an RPG? It's like okay, well, just uh, for the RPG people, we'll just throw this in there to make the number go up, and it'll maybe feel like an RPG, like you know, for for those fans. And like for me, it's just like I agree, like I agree with James's sentiment that like I kind of wish they kind of pivoted to one way or the other more more confidently instead of like ha- trying to like have this like be in the center and be like okay, we don't actually know where we want to go. Yeah. So I, I have a couple I'd comments. So first of all, I want to say, then I'll hand it back over to Cohen. Um, this is my favorite Final Fantasy game since Final Fantasy XII. And maybe that's not a high bar, but it's still, it's a bar they met. And, you know, other Final Fantasy games I quickly bounced off of in the last, you know, 15 years. But this game has not been that. I'm enjoying myself immensely. When I read some criticisms, both in Cullen's review and Alex's review, and just in kind of the general zeitgeist about it not committing to be an RPG, I'll admit when I read that, I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, what what does that criticism mean? But as I play it, it's kind of like one of those things that becomes apparent as you play it. For me, it's the resource management side of it. So after every battle, you get like resources and these are like materials or upgrades or, you know, gill or ability points. And like, you'll get these like resources that say used in crafting, like, magic ash and sharp fang and bloody hide i'm like oh that's neat like these are stuff that i can use to improve my character but then i just learned i was just like rolling in this stuff without even trying with like really like nothing to spend it on like in the first like 10 hours of the game i'd like visit the blacksmith visit the shop and like i i either already made the best gear or the story just handed me a new weapon that's better than anything i can craft so like i go into my item menu and i've got all these resources and there's like there's no need to manage them. You just are rolling in it. And I have no there's like there's nothing for me to spend it on, even if I wanted to. For me, that's when I that's like the RPG element to me. That's the most apparent is that I don't really need. There's no like build craft or theory craft or like gear allotment. You just you're kind yeah, of yeah, like, uh, I'll tell you on top of like of what you're saying too. like I just like it's sitting on top of like a shitload of gill. I have like maybe like maybe like 350K of gill. And a shitload of like ability points. I have, like over 10k ability points, and it's like I have no reason to like. There's nothing really interesting aside from like the the tunes for the jukebox. Uh, you can really spend gill on. There's nothing interesting. Oh yeah, to really like gill on. And then, also, your, and then for your ability points, once you find like the build that like you're going for, like there's no really, you're not really incentivized to like spend more ability points than like what you need for like your current amount of skills because you can only have like a total of six skills. Uh, at any given time so once you like you know upgrade and maybe you know do mastery on them if you want to switch them around there's not really and uh, uh there's no incentive to further spend more ability points and even then you can fully refund those ability points uh and then just like reallocate them if you're trying try to go for a new build but other than that it's like you're, i'm just kind of sitting on like a mountain of resources and like 
it's just like the a lot of the economy in the game it is like kind of not interesting for me so colin wanted to get a word in and then we'll go over to chow oh yeah um i I look at something like Final Fantasy 15 as a game that is too like split between action game and RPG. I'd kind of consider it like a 50-50 split where it really just seems super confused. Uh so for me, I think it, and I will agree a lot of like the RPG stuff is not the most interesting thing ever, but I I like in my mind I picture it as kind of like an 80-20 split where it's like 80% an action game and 20% of an RPG. And that's enough of an action game for me to still like really get into it and not I still find have a lot of, yeah, I, I still have a lot of the, the, the battle system, like the, the general flow of battle. Like, yeah, uh, like, like, I, like, 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 make no mistake that like, I'm, it's not like, for sure, yeah. just because I have like complaints about it, like uh, the way things are, doesn't mean I'm like, I'm not enjoying it. No, no, really no, yeah, me too. It. Um, it, it's just the RPG stuff is mm-hmm. not bad enough to get in my way of have like in. I don't think it's detrimental. I do wish it was fleshed out more, but I st- like I still think this is an RPG. I still kind of enjoy the RPG elements that exist. I d- I don't find them too intrusive, but there are a couple of things I look at this game and I'm like, okay, this could definitely be better. Even as one of this game's strongest soldiers, I can admit like the quest for example, uh, mechanic like I adore the writing in all the quests and I definitely think the best quest writing and the best quests are in that like after that time skip but you know you could maybe have made these a bit better like the, also... like, like the thing about it like this like I'm thinking about it like this like I wish you there were more incentives to like just spend resources like for example if they have oh, like absolutely and, like for ability points if you could like spend those ability points to, like reduce cooldowns and up the damage on like individual skills like like a meter that'd be great so, That'd be that'd be awesome, you know, because it feels like okay, I'm actually making interesting decisions based on like resources that I have, and they're like now instead of just like kind of you know unlocking a node and not really doing anything else after upgrading and mastering. So it's What's just one of those things re- that like I, like I, I contend with in this game that like I, I did like it's so close to like really getting there and like realizing its full potential, but it like it, but it just doesn't take that extra step. And I agree with Chow, uh, Cullen, where like I wish I had more to spend my gill on, and I wish I could go to the blacksmith and have a whole bunch of different weapons and have to choose between them. The fact that I don't really have that isn't like an, a knock against the game. It just doesn't elevate it. I just think the game could be really, really something special and neat, both in the RPG space and in the action space, if it had some more of that. But the the absence of it is just kind of like, oh, I wish it had that, and that's kind of it. Like without it, I'm I'm still enjoying what is present. What's really interesting, and I haven't played too much of it to like fully speak on it, is that it, oh, excuse me, it seems like New Game Plus, the Final Fantasy mode difficulty, actually has much more gear. It requires like much more, like you have to spend your gill on a lot more. Like, because by the end of the game, I think I had like 400,000 gill and I just wasn't really spending it. Uh, But New Game Plus seems like it has a bunch of new equipment you can buy. Uh, there's new enemies. There are new materials you get from side quests, and it's like, okay, why I'm really excited kind for of that. S- yeah, yeah, I don't know that. that. So that that sounds hopefully. It's, it's like <laughs> I I am looking forward to my new game plus run. Uh, I kind of wish that was the game that we got a new game. Uh, yeah, that's the that's, same thing I was thinking of. <laughs> I feel the main game is just like too easy, or maybe we just got spoiled by like Souls games for being like too difficult for this standard no. and what's considered yeah, yeah. normal is 
not really normal anymore, I guess. I also, also, like, there's, like, no, like, actual, like, difficulty until, like, New Game Plus, because it's like, oh, it asks, oh, do you want to be story-focused or action-focused? That doesn't change anything. It just automatically equips some of those helper accessories at the very start if you choose story-focused. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know so, that. So I, did, I haven't played a lot of action games. I've played Metal Gear Rising like 12 years ago, and I wasn't good at it. I never really learned how to parry. So I wasn't worried about this game in terms of being too hard or difficult because usually I can manage. And I've played like Souls Likes and things like that. But I you know I see, you know, some people on our own Discord have been posting like combo videos and hitting really high stagger numbers. I'm like, man, I can never do that. So I did struggle a little bit early on before I had a lot of icon switches, like with the Garuda fight is one of like the first major boss fights I did actually lose. But the thing is, is you just respawn like partway through the fight with a full allotment of potions again. I'm like, oh, now I'm fine because I'm literally like, at like a like the, the checkpoints are super generous and then past that fight once i had like more options like for instance one of the later skills on the phoenix kit heals you like oh there now i don't really need to worry about resource management of my potions anymore because i can just use that to heal myself so like i had a tiny bit of a curve at the start getting used to it but past that point i'm like yep i'm fine this isn't this isn't too bad I do think the game has a couple spikes um and i i i think the general discussion on difficulty it kind of overlooks the fact that a lot of the players of this game are not going to be action game enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. Like a, a lot of people playing this game are not going to be the, like the DMC heads or the big action game fans. And even as one of those, there were fights in this game where I was, I was struggling a little bit like this game when it needs to be hard is pretty challenging. But as someone who is generally a really big fan of action games, I, I'm left conflicted on how they did the new game plus because on one hand, wow, I love actual substantial new game plus content. I love a reason to go back. I, I love like an actual, like, um, cause they remix like all of the missions too, where they add new enemies in and all the levels have kind of been raised to around the forties, right from the get go. And your level cap is just increased from where it was on your main game. And I love that kind of stuff, but also I look at all this and I'm like, I feel like maybe this could have been in the main game and it would have offered more variety. And then instead we could have just had a harder difficulty mode from the get go. And you know, I you think know who's going to win all helps. this? You know who's going to win this? Who? When the game comes to PC and Adam is playing for the first time, they'll be like, unlock Final Fantasy mode from the start. That's true. And Adam will That's be true. like, hell yeah. We're stupid. We're, we're, we're the ones stupid. Well, the, the Final Fantasy mode is like, it does expect you to be like level 40, 45, 48. It's that the same thing that uh, 7 Remake did where it, that like other, the hard mode is expected to be a continuation of the main game. Right. And you'll either love it or hate it. I, because... This is a bit of a tangent. Well, it's not really a tangent, but I adored Final Fantasy VII Remakes Hard Mode. It was a really one of my favorite gaming experiences of the last like five years. They don't limit you on healing in this one like that one did, but I do think you'll probably have a lot of fun with New Game Plus. I was watching, uh, I think they did a stream or a unique like IGN first where they just went over a couple of the missions and showed like what differences there are and they'll just drop in unique like, I think they put in a chimera on, I, I forget the mission. Maybe someone will be able to remind me of what it was called. But that little forest mission with, uh, when you're like running through with Sid early on in the game, mm -hmm. you just fight a, oh, yeah. a chimera, like right in where a normal, like 
maybe mini boss like would be. They just put a hunt right in there in a small enclosed area. And it's like, yeah, now you got to figure out how to deal with this in a much like, cause typically when you fight the chimera, you're in a big field cause it's a hunt and you're going out and you're like finding it in the world. But just fighting those kind of enemies in the main campaign during those missions is a really fun way to remix that. And it's, and it's like, yeah, that is great. But also, oh, maybe some of this could have been dispersed better. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of of two minds about that, like you are. Like, I love having really neat new game plus modes. But then when you see it as a, something that is lacking in the new game mode, you're like, mm, man. I thought of those days, like, I only want to replay this game in new game, that, that Final Fantasy mode. But it's like more performance patches. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been playing on performance on a PS5 and e- even with the variable frame rate, it's like, man, this thing is, it's rarely ever stable 60, man. <laughs> I, uh... I ended up switching to quality mode just because, especially when I saw that you were having dips to like the mid 30 FPS on performance mode, it's like, if I'm going to have that, I might as well just have it be like a steady 30 and have it look better the whole time. Like my ideal like mode, I'm not sure if they'll ever do it. I wish they would is if it was 30 FPS outside of combat. And then as soon as you got into combat, it did the because in combat, it's always like 60 FPS because they like drop the resolution down a bunch. But I feel like it would be nice if there was an option to have like when you're just moving around, be 30 FPS because it's not like it's really going to impact the gameplay that much, but it looks better. And then as soon as you got into combat, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't really tweak the settings much, but I was wondering, it's like, uh, was it, is there a way to get rid of the motion blur? Not yet. They said they're gonna address it in the patch. Yeah, so we have to we, we get we get cooked again, Shao. We have to wait for a post-launch patch for that. Damn I um I had a, a realization while talking to James and Alex about this as we played, and then especially learning about some of the actual like what's going on under the hood of this from Digital Foundry, and it's that my eyes are terrible. Because I was playing through performance mode, and I was like, this is the best-looking game I've ever played. I don't notice any difference from quality <laughs> mode. This is amazing. And then I heard about all that, and I saw that, and I was like, I am wearing my glasses on my nice 4K TV in my living room, and I didn't notice any of this. I need a new pr- prescription. <laughs> I need new glasses, too. It's like, oh. I, I am in the same boat. I got glasses recently, and I thought, man, this is like the greatest looking game of my life. What the fuck are people smoking about? Yeah, it's like, I I, I noticed a bit more because um, I tried to like play it on my uh, computer for, through my capture card. And then I was able to see like some of the frame dips a bit more and notice a couple things. But I was consistently throughout performance mode, just like, I this is a looker. Yeah. I I will take whatever frame rate drops are necessary to ensure battles are 60 FPS because that's the part that like really matters to me. But I also agree with James where it would be nice if you could have that more like quality mode at any point you're not in a battle. Yeah. I, and to to be clear, uh, Colin, like I play my PS5 at my desk on a 4K monitor. So that's probably so why I've been able to notice. Uh, oh, yeah. So normally I do that as well, but this game, I took it and actually put it on my TV. I very rarely actually play games on my TV. I, if it's a console game, I normally do what you mentioned and play it through a capsule card on my monitor. Because, you know, I, that way I can pull up plugging the RPG site guides for all the hunts and quests, <laughs> but also like Discord and all that. And it's just it just fits my style a bit more. But this, I actually took my PS5 and hooked up on the TV so I could enjoy this at, you know, 70 inches. And this game, Damn. I remember when it was very first shown off. 
that people thought like the color palette was too muted. It didn't look that great. And if I remember right, Yoshida or someone on the development staff said like, we want to make sure we, when the next time we show this game that it's really polished up, we want to make sure it's impressed, impressive. And they, they nailed it. I think this is one of the best looking RPGs I've ever played. There's a, there's a silly little subset of, of, I don't know, social media dialogue about how so this game's not on xbox right so the fact that final fantasy 15 was on xbox there's been some weird subset of people saying like well final fantasy 15 looked nearly as good as final fantasy 16 it doesn't doesn't look that good i'm like eh, like final fantasy 15 looked great i thought but this game also looks great it looks five years newer and on better hardware like this game i think i have no complaints about the visuals at all um performance yeah it's not not rock solid but visuals i've really enjoyed my time with this just walking through all the towns i really just love the fantasy vibe uh that this game has in terms of styling i think the color palette that it has is maybe a little bit more more muted but i think it really fits the world building i, I think i think the 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 one criticism i have is like it, lo- it looks great like like visual fidelity wise it looks great but I think I don't know. It's probably a problem with my eyes, but I I really struggle a lot of the like the low light situations in this game, especially like early on, like where a lot it's of the game is, you. is, is oh, like yeah, in not the dark. At all. Like, I had the I, same I, I, problem. I had yeah, to yeah. constantly go to press L three to know where to go next. Like, okay, Torgal, I need you to fucking tell me where to go next because I cannot see shit. So normally, I will apparently say all of ideas on this one. <laughs> go ahead, James. Yeah, I will say that once you get to the second time skip i feel like you don't have to worry about running into those situations for the rest of the game but i do know that i had the brightness slider up a bit higher than it was supposed to be until like the second time skip because like early on especially there was some sections where it's like i can't see shit and this there's is still, there's still parts there, yeah there's still parts that during the second time skip like to, to, to clarify where i'm at like i like the, the most recent icon that i got was bahamut so like I, I'm, oh I'm, shit you've been oh like, man you've been yeah farming. you're far wow yeah so i'm I'm way in there uh right now i also um, have bahamut we, we have no life this <laughs> yeah. Bah- i already know I, what happens there can i just <laughs> like, vaguely t- just cut in super quick to say that is one of the coolest segments i think i have ever played in a game that was okay yeah the icon fights are so fucking anime like okay like my, my cri- main criticism for icon fights it's like they play up feel it feels like it's more like a cutscene playing out than, than you actually playing Agreed. it but but like the but what you're actually seeing on screen it's like there's so there's like the the I, this is gonna sound terrible, but I mean it earnestly. Like the icon fights are like Asura's wrath, but with less gameplay, and like yeah, kind of, and, and like with less interesting QTEs. But what you're actually what's actually being shown to you is like really fucking over. It's like this is insane. It, it is <laughs> incredibly obvious. It is incredibly obvious that uh, so we know that Platinum Games contributed to this incredibly fucking obvious they did the icon battles it just has their like handy work like has their like handy work all fucking over it like but um like speaking, I think of, scenes, though, speaking <laughs> of the cutscenes though holy shit like you were talking about the visuals and how like great this game looks but the cutscenes oh my god like i don't think i'm exaggerating when i say i legitimately don't think you can get much better than the visuals in those cutscenes. The cutscene choreography and, and like the general like compositions of the shots are like it's really magnificent in this game. I remember most Adam, of it's I an engine. 
I remember yeah, Adam yeah. brought up like one thing that Final Fantasy VII remake. It doesn't do this all the time. It has some good moments, but it has a lot of the um, stand in a circle and talk moments. And this game has that a little bit with like the side quests. But during like most of the narrative quests, the in-engine cutscenes, probably like two thirds of them, they're like you've got interesting camera angles, you've got like depth of field effects that aren't that don't feel too overdone. There was like a there was like a a moment where it was just uh, Jill and Clive speaking in like the second floor of a of a some sort of tavern, and Jill just like leans up back against a table, and just it's a very subtle thing, but just like stuff like that where they just actually occupy the space that they're in they're not just plop the model here have them stand and do their you know general emote this the, i've really enjoyed dumb. the cutscene choreography here this is there, like there's a number of things in cutscenes that i saw and it just made me go holy shit first off there was a there was one scene it was a very quick thing where there was a shot of jill she put her gloved hand on a table and then gripped her fingers and you could see the fabric of the glove shifting with that yeah uh-huh yeah um, that, that like the clothing is fucking insane in this yeah. game <laughs> the second thing is uh in the scene where uh one of the characters has to like being vague as possible has to get jailbroken and another character like grabs and throws their weapon to you and it's just it's all in like one single shot like in a lot of other games they would hide it but it's like they literally picked up the sword threw it at them it got caught and then it's like holy shit and because it's all an engine it's the sword you have equipped yeah yeah it's like so. i i wanted to like circle back to something uh yeah. brian said that was like oh yeah Final Fantasy 15 looks way better than this and flat out no like no you're wrong <laughs> the in-engine cutscenes oh and I, I didn't say that Brian said this but like kind of you know what I mean but like the in-engine cutscenes for this game like 15 had to do pre-renders to get even close to it I am continuously blown away at how immaculate these cutscenes look and how the models look and it, it i did have that bit of a moment where i was like is this the first next gen rpg i've played yeah is this I mean, really yeah, like finally a ps5 exclusive <laughs> yeah and, and to be clear if in a perfect world this game would have released for xbox pc and ps5 all, all at the same time like i'm not Absolutely. defending that it's a ps5 exclusive at all yeah, but but you can tell like it was made for the ground up for a next gen. It's not a cross gen yeah. game at the conception. It was like, oh, this is mm. you can, well, like that's it, a funny thing. It was a cross gen game at conception. Was it? Yeah, oh. they confirmed that they originally were developing this for both PlayStation Four and Five. Oh wow, they really messed it up really well. I'm glad they axed that. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, I think. Um, oh, I think we're going to like. Uh, cutscenes and character animation stuff like that i'm i'm trying i'm thinking and like i'm thinking on my my two favorite characters in this game uh the like i never thought i, I like i never would have expected this going in but like my two favorite characters in this game are byron and gav and i fucking uh, love gav I, I, the, a lot of that is because of like their body language and the way they express themselves in cutscenes gav is the best character okay uh, and Byron's actually good too. Um, I'm kind of so sad much. that his um, voice actor passed away. So they have a different guy. Yeah, apparently his voice actor passed away. So there's two English or Japanese. Uh, his English voice. one. Okay. Wow. So really? It, really? It, yeah, his English voice actor passed away. So they got two different guy voicing him. So I'm not sure where the voice changes are. Maybe like I didn't notice. They added yeah. the fuck. For him. That's but crazy. yeah, 
Uh, I, I love his introduction. That one part when it's like, who are you, Clive? Like, or when Clive shows up and he doesn't know who the hell he is, and and Clive did this thing that's kind of cringy. Like, it, like he basically pulled like a like a great eight syndrome or whatever to show how that is him, right? And it's like right. that seems very say, lovely. It's, 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 it's not Trinibia, but it's but it's definitely like it's definitely like it, like it looks corny from an outsider's perspective. But it's like it's one of those like oh, you can totally that's a very in family type of thing that you would kind of use to like like identify yourself almost. It added a, a really like it was a very sweet moment that added a lot of like texture to the game story. Uh-huh. I feel yeah, it was yeah. such a very specific thing that I I adore in like. RPG narratives when they have that attention to detail, it's like because yeah, how else would he like prove himself? Yeah, and I like how these back in the day, right? So and I like, like how it was something that wasn't like shown to the player. It's like an implied history. Like okay, we we weren't there to see Clive act in whatever play he was like reenacting, but clearly it was something that he and his uncle Byron had, you know, bonded over. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. There's like no full flashback sequence for it, like yeah. or, or anything, which I, I appreciate. It's like okay, you were able to like keep the focus of this cutscene and, and like the, the emotional tension, like ease, uh, while not resorting to a, a flashback for it. Yeah, and whenever whenever games are you know and treat us as intelligent people and allow us to glean like oh this was something that was really important to them 13 years ago, rather than being like all right here's your sepia tone flashback to explain how things happened. Like no, you can glean the, the important information in the moment here. We don't need to provide you that. And I feel like 16 is really good at doing that. It mm-hmm. there I are. Hope- just mm-hmm. inside, I hope somebody at Falcon plays this game and gets inspired by the cutscenes. <laughs> You're not wrong. Like yeah. I, I, I adore like all of this game's cast. They're some of my favorite Final Fantasy characters I think I've ever had the pleasure of uh, sitting through. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm such- no, uh, just and yeah, a lot of that is because they the writers do kind of respect the audience and. Uh, I, I know like it was sl- like kind of made fun of uh, in some article. I forget what it was called that active time lore thing, but it, it is, it's, it's a, so appreciated. I, it, it is because then they can have like, they can imply things or not directly talk about certain aspects of the game's lore and not bog down the pacing with exposition. Yeah. Like the important things they do like exposit, but yeah, they find the really good, um, middle ground because I was worried potentially that you're run into the Final Fantasy 13 codex issue where that game makes no sense unless you encyclopedically like scour the codex for this game. It has it there for those that want to read not not only the active time lore, but the hall, um, the library, uh, Harpo. Crates. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like there's there is Tomes. a ton to dig into if you want to. But the the game itself it provides all the information you need in the cutscenes without being too over expository. And also, it avoids it avoids the um it avoids the uh, at least in the English dub it avoids the like the dub grunting. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't remember. I remember Final Fantasy VII Remake got a little bit of post launch uh, guff for the grunting. Uh, and here, whenever they have like an exhalation or something like that, it's usually something that's very deliberate and meaningful. And I have no qualms with the dub work really whatsoever yeah i i'll say this like as someone that has uh, talked with ben star in person he does an insane job as clive because it doesn't sound like his normal voice his range in this game is just insane yeah clive in general like that's my dude right there i love clive very good he did like a very good job to the point 
you know, it's like you, you could easily tell this is young Clive. This is middle aged Clive or whatever you want to call him. Right? I, just but, love, I just love that he's like, he's, he's so much of a badass and he's like very competent and confident with what he does. Yeah. Like, and also he has this like quiet, softer side to him. Yeah. I feel like he feels like a person. Whereas I think often Final Fantasy can make its protagonists more like archetypes. I, I agree with you. Like I, I was having this uh, conversation with a friend just uh, last night when we were talking about like uh, comparing like uh, protagonists, like say like um, like Clive to like something like Noctis. You know, like no- Noctis was a, a, like a fun character to see, but like he doesn't. It's not. He's not really interesting outside of like he doesn't feel like he do- actually has a character outside of like his love for fishing. Uh, you know, and uh, but other than that, like Clive kind of goes through the motions until like he comes into his own at the very end of it. But like, uh, like, but his journey there, it feels like he's like stumbling from one from one plot beat to another uh, in it. And while like the characterization of Clive in um, sixteen is like very well realized, uh, like from like his early up until like his more troubled first time skip around like the circumstances that he finds of himself in and then eventually like finding like what his purpose is on like what 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 his goals are and what 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 are the connecting the dots to like the motivations of what led him to uh go on this path eventually this ultimate goal so i'm not sure exactly how they managed it but they managed to make clive a very very competent person without going into Gary Stu territory. And I'm not exactly sure what it is that allows him to do that. He's not arrogant. He, like he, He's obviously got like, you learn throughout the course of the story that he has some, some special characteristics. Namely, he can use multiple icons. That's not a surprise. But um, he's still, in his mind, Joshua's shield, first and foremost. Like he is a shield, not a sword. And that might be a little bit like poetic or namby-pamby or whatever you want to call it but it kind of like suits his character like he's super competent but also like super humble but in a way that's not obnoxious so they manage to like thread all those needles at the same time in a way that is quite remarkable i think part of that uh, is because like like he recognized that he does have flaws and he recognizes that he can't save every single person around him like even though he's like he's fighting for his own justice and the justice for people around him eventually he realizes like when he gets to like say a town that's like being destroyed and there's like people dying left and right in it he understands that like he can't stop that he can't he's he's not like an all-powerful being to like protect every single person from the incoming assault that he came to late you know it's one of those things like okay well i'm here for a specific purpose to kind of um like you know like i have a specific objective in this uh i have to get there i can't go out of my way to like try and save every single person and like and cry about it if i can't do that it does feel like another JRPG protagonist would either be like whining about it or they dwell on it for too long. Um, he, he and doesn't he dwell doesn't. on it at all. <laughs> He's, he, he regrets it. He says, like, I wish I was here, but I can't control that. I can only, mm-hmm. you know, and then, he, and then he moves on. I don't know about you, but I don't know. Clive kind of reminds me of Kiyu from the Yakuza series. I don't know. A bit, just... a bit, a tiny bit, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I, I, I find his interaction with Jill is kind of like awkward and kind of like innocent i guess i i really like the relationship between the two you know uh, oh yeah they're like i that is a very in like th- this is pretty obvious that they're meant to be a romantic pairing but like the romance between them is very well done i think they, they don't have any like awkward moments or melodrama or hijinks they just let it be 
and they they have a lot of shared screen time. I'm actually surprised just generally how much screen time Jill gets, which I I appreciate. And then also just She's... the cast of characters in general. Like not only do you get a lot of screen time with characters like uh Byron and Gav, but like there's a lot of characters that are like supporting casts like um Helen Aaron. and and Martha and mm-hmm. Wade. Uh, Otto Wade. Otto's <laughs> so... the ba- Otto's my dude, dude. I love Otto. So... And like, uh, I'm not. I'm always kind of surprised when like you see a character and you think they're one off, like Martha, and then you kind of go back to her area like several times, and she's not that, she's not that important a character. And I'm saying that like carefully, but she is, she's she serves a purpose that is a little bit more low key, but also necessary, and not just I her, mean, but a, a, lot, a lot of supporting cast where it doesn't just feel like here are the five major characters. These are the only five people that ever matter. Everyone else is an extra in the background. Like, no, there are people that all, all up and down in terms of scale of like ability or power or, or capability or whatever. I, I think I, what really is surprising is like how involved, like even some, like the lore masters, like Hippocrates and uh, Vivian. I love Vivian. Like mm-hmm. how involved they are with like actually interacting with the characters and the, and the plot beats and side quests. Like, they're very involved, even like in the main narrative and, t- and plotting on what to do next, or like for clarification on like a certain thing. Like I, I think that really threw me out because usually those characters that are like like lore dumps are kind of just thrown to the side. It's like okay, this char- this NPC is here. Like if you want to learn more, but no, they're actually involved in the story and interact with characters regularly. And I have something I really appreciate, and also something I really appreciate about Vivian is like the whole visual uh, like timeline visualization of like the character chart over time and like the world map and like the war table over time how like you get a better sense of the world the the scale of the world and like the movements of the world by uh, on the way they like visualize that presented you through a timeline and uh, one of the reasons I why i adore the side quest so much is that it i like if you really love these characters which i do and it it, it will get like give you so much more time with them because all of these side characters have their own quest lines that you can go through and it really feels like you're building a community is one of the things I touched upon in my review where you are helping these people you do care about. And if you want to get more of them, you do have to put in that effort. And by doing that, you're rewarded with even better like characterization, even more character moments. But if you don't want to, you you don't have to. Yeah. Like, I I, I, th- I think the, the side, like, like a good chunk of the side quests are, are pretty interesting in those, in terms of like those NPC storylines. Of like characters that like you're more familiar with, but like the actions sometimes do feel repetitive and monotonous. Like they'll be like, "Oh, here's another bandit," you know. Uh, bandits are like making trouble again. Got you got to go there and do yeah. this. Oh, there's another. I got to get this uh, curls ass. So like, uh, like you know, the shit thing, and then I uh, got to get that. You know, like the actual like motions of what you're doing isn't all that interesting. But some of them, like I do appreciate that they give those like minor characters a lot more. They expand upon them in a pretty significant manner. Like. Like one example is like I just did like the final like Goots one, you know, and and it really uh, exemplifies like what he like his relationship with Karen, you know. And I th- Karen's like, great. I don't, I love her. Yeah, I don't really like care for Goots all that much, but I appreciated that like they went through that effort like expanding that on like expanding that relationship with uh, Karen and Goots. Damn, everyone just treated him as the Hordor of this game. <laughs> as soon as it came out, it's like, oh, that's Hordor. <laughs> it's like okay. So mm-hmm. Colin. Hmm? What did you think of the Titan fight? Uh, it was one of the best uh, action game boss set pieces I've ever done in a game. It's like an hour long, 
<laughs> I thought my PS5 like, was going to explode. I was like, can my PS5 like do this? Like, like how, how many health bars does this person have? I, well, as long as you clean your PS5, it should be okay. That, that fight has like six unique BGMs just for it, I feel like. And counting that and the uh, partially primed version of it is uh-huh. just like, that is some of the best action game content I have ever done. And it is like, even the actual like icon fight itself. I, I think all of the icon fi- fights just land entirely. They are exceptional in like every single regard. I was having an amazing time and in Titan in particular. Oh, it's so good. It. That was that like moment of like this is one of the coolest games I've ever played in my life. So the titans are very are very spectacle, and I, I do appreciate the like like I I I appreciate that I got to see that like like in my life I like like almost like I didn't <laughs> think like I like I'm a big fan of like FF summons right and like seeing them go super over the top of this game with like crazy visuals like I'm just like oh thank you for making this like it might have not been the most interactive thing like I played necessarily but like the spectacle of it all is really funny and really exciting to see you know i i, I really I, i'd always put a smile on my face when clive is if it screams fuck during it i'm like yeah <laughs> yeah awesome. how's about this if, 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 if it is so cool i was always an ifrit <laughs> you know man. i was gonna like, say uh if, which one would you think it's better the bahamut fight or the titan fight bahamut i think the bahamut, bahamut. fight was a better uh story weight to it the way that plays out now i i'm kind of into like i do enjoy the icon fights for the spectacle sometimes i feel like the gameplay gets a little bit long in the tooth, but but Mm -hmm. it's that's a that's a minor nitpick i'm not sitting there like hating life as i go through it i'm just like all right i kind of i got the spectacle Uh, i just kind of wish that like once again it like i wish there was more customizability of like well like ifrit themselves like i wish like you do unlock skills for ifrit eventually that at narrative points during these icon fights but like it's all railroaded, right? You're not actually like making like interesting customizable decisions of like how well, you outfit different, let's say. Alternatively, my my perspective on that is I am very happy that at those moments they throw out all the stats and so none of that matters because it becomes entirely on skill and just going through it. And they, they're able to design the fight in a particular way where you will not have a like advantage by like equipping or changing things up like that. And I think in those moments when like, I I think they commented that they wanted to make these like wrestling matches and in those actual like gameplay segments, not the, you know, uh, special QTE moments. I think these fights land especially hard because it is just like, okay, you've got your Ifrit at a preset like thing here. And then the enemy is this and it's just, just do it. Um, have you got to Icon Battle during New Game Plus? Like, is there any difference? I have from not that? yet. No, I I did not have time to go through much of New Game Plus. I was just wondering, like, what, what would they do in New Game Plus? Would they just make it like all the bosses like a bigger HP sponges? I don't think that would, that would do anything. You know, it's like I, my I'm guess curious will be do. about the, about the same, but they're changing or maybe so many other moves. things. But who knows? Yeah, they yeah. might give them new moves, but I yet to be confirmed. Wow. Yeah. Um. <laughs> The, okay, the one thing that really, it was funny like the first three or four times, and now it's just like, dude, this is ridiculous. Like, how many seal obtained moments you get oh. as you're just traveling around? Because like, and like, like whenever you go to like a new town, there's like a, they generally just follow a generic structure of like there's a there's a dispute or there's a conflict in this local town. 
and there's something in your way and you need like you need to solve this dispute in town to continue forward and like and you go through like these information networks of the npcs that you get there and like they they really use this narrative plot they use a narrative device in, uh repeatedly in these in these um <laughs> exactly chow you're you're you're, you're, you're uh, he put up the fucking uh gary showing all his gym badges <laughs> picture on it and yeah they're like in each of these towns they have like a, a, a once you earn their trust, they're like, oh, like if you display this seal, people will know that like you're on our side or like you're representing us, you know. And they do this a lot for the fucking. I, I was uh, actually gonna NBA. ask, is this like a carryover from like Final Fantasy fourteen or something? Because no. it was so, no. it was so, it, it was so like explicit and so repeated. Where I was just like, can't they like just change it up? Just have the same like flow in terms of how the story progresses, but just explain it away, not just you're holding your like your your box of seals or your bag of seals and you've got like the chocobo from sid and you've got like in, in one of the later towns you literally get two different seals from two related characters <laughs> and they and, and then they like merge together to, to, to make yeah. the merge seal and these seals are just key items they don't even like show up they show up in the same menu as your resources they don't even show up as a key item they show up as like the treasure chest item i forget what that is um yeah um, every town you go to it'll be like oh my god you had to steal from the dame. Oh my god! It's like tell them I'm a good person. I don't want to. It's, it's yeah. like it's like another minor case of that. It's, it's like it's such a stupid fucking rip, uh, narrative like device that's like used a lot throughout the game just to like keep the story moving forward. It's like well, they, cr- it, they they use it this makes sense so why much. they do it, but like because it, it, it explains like why you have to spend time in an area before passing through like a threshold, like a physical gate. Yeah, but, I, I don't mind that. Like you know, the the local dispute part, but like you know, I figure they could just they could just doctor it up in a slightly different way. Like at one point, let's say you're actually helping the person who's blocking you off, and then they say, "All right, now I'll, I'll let you through because you've helped me out." Or they they provide some other little side quest that allows you to go around the gate or something. There's there's just different ways they could have done it, but it doesn't the the, the presence of it, the way they have done it, doesn't detract from the game. I just feel like it's something they could have done better, similar to like the conversation earlier about the gill and the resources and things like that yeah it's just really goofy and funny um that yeah i mean overall though like my overall impressions of the game so far and i'll probably you know uh, hopefully i'll finish it up very soon um like i i enjoyed it like it's in i enjoyed a lot more than 15 um i because i've only ever played 15 like at its launch i never went through all the post date stuff like that so my impression of the game is like very early on like the unreleased state of that game um i don't know the boat that i despise 15 and it's like one of the worst ff game i ever played i don't know what the hell it tries to be i think, and... I think, I think it's, it's, there's like interesting parts about it but it's very patchwork right i i'm thinking of like the last final fantasy game like i really 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 enjoyed uh before 16 because i'm just having like a blast with the game even with all of its faults like, I, don't I know, actually, they... I actually like thirteen to a certain extent, except for the story. I, I actually I... do like the gameplay. I know people complain it was a little bit too linear, but I didn't really care about like dungeon exploring because there's really like, no reward for exploring too much. Even like in sixteen, it was like, what is your reward from trying I, to explore the entire? Uh, map? Yeah, you're right. Like, they, like there's very little like reward to like exploring the world because I, I didn't bother at after a certain point uh, with sixteen. Like, I'm just going from like straight like if I have a quest there, if I need to do something, I'll just go from point A to point B. Um, and it's also weird because like, like the 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 narrative 
like beats that you go through it's like they're like sort of like after you go through there it's sort of an arcade mode as well so you can replay them but it really highlights like the like the the structural faults with them i guess where you're just literally you're kind of just going in a straight line like as soon as you enter them you go you go you start from a zone and you pretty much go in a straight line to the boss fight um you know there'll be little flourishes like of, of like a town like you know you have to go through a town but you're pretty much you just have to go in a straight line from point a to point b um in those narrative zones so like i think it's one of those weird things once again where like it doesn't know whether it wants to be a, a, like an action game an rpg and then that's all like further exemplified but like after you go through them you can like play through it again like as an arcade mode and like rack up points like sort of like how you would go through like a dmc stage you know so it's like what well, it's really weird it's one of those yeah. it's one of like it's one of like like it's like one of the few parts in 16 where it's like it's having an identity crisis about like what it wants to be I guess I never really thought of that, but there's really not a whole lot of incentive if you're on a map to be like, I want to see what's over there. Because if you don't have a red icon for a story or a green icon for a side quest, you might find a chest that you can kick open. But 90% of the time, it's just going to be like, cool. you're going you're gonna to get sharp fangs and you're going to be like, oh, I already have 900 of these <laughs> or whatever. Um, there's only like maybe two treasure chests in the entire game that had, had like a weapon upgrade at that time. And that's it. <laughs> I, I will say there have been a few times where I like actually have like, oh, I can craft this weapon, then I can upgrade it. I can actually spend some of my resources. Hooray. And then like in the next story mission, you're like, here's a new weapon that you get from beating the icon. Like it's better than anything you have so far. I'm like, oh, it's like some of these like weapon upgrades are like so incremental, right? Like I got like a like a new like uh, icon weapon. It's like it's like plus two to what you have. It's like cool i guess like i i mean it is better but the, the number does go up but it, it just feels unrewarding um sometimes at, uh, during those like power power gap thresholds it does feel a bit like like oh this belt will increase my defense by five from 270 to 275 or something yeah. like that it's like it's like oh yeah it's a two percent increase Woo. <laughs> yeah did we want to do any section about going into... I think we've done a really good job so far keeping this as spoiler-free, spoiler-light as possible. I don't know if we wanted to go into uh, any of the like early game, past the prologue, past this, the time skip uh, spoiler. I, I guess I, I, I'm interested, like, like what, what were the moments, uh, or what was the moment? Like, it, Was there like an early game defining moment for you that's like, oh, this game is special, or, or, or is this game not for me? Like, um, I think the moment that that clicks for that is wait wait before you uh, go are we are we gonna go into spoilers right here just so I can time I, 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 I don't think it'll be too too much spoilers yeah, I'm talking I think, about okay. game. I, think I, I think my moment click on the game already was the Phoenix and Ifrit fight during the demo that mm. already seals the deal with that with the epic soundtrack when they're both fighting right uh, the other thing that seals the deal for me is when Clive fights himself in mm -hmm. pretty much a very early part of the game i think that yeah, part i was gonna the say deal. the ifrit fight is like the moment where i was like yeah no this is like one of the coolest games ever yeah the ifrit fight is really <laughs> it's something it's it's one of those early scenes where it's like this is really goofy and funny but really impactful as well i'm trying to think for me i mean there, there's a lot of little moments i'm trying to think of like the moment where i was like like i don't know about this game until Hmm. How about you, James? Well, I'm thinking. I, well, I mean, I kind of talked about this when I did the preview, I guess. So, uh -huh. 
Yeah, but to, you know, remind people who didn't read the preview. Well, it's just um, I, I I don't know. I I've, I've talked about this game so much, and it's like I'm I'm happy with just being more positive about it today. <laughs> okay, okay. For me, it was the um probably one of the one of the very first like major story segments after the initial time skip. This isn't a surprise. Is Benedicta and the Garuda one of the first major bosses that you fight is Garuda. Um, just that sequence, because at that point, it's basically three major players. It's Clive, it's Sid, and it's Benedicta. And, you know, they're they're, they're each dominance, um, even though Clive is still kind of coming into his own at that point. And just the way that that progresses from establishing Benedicta as, a, as an antagonist, um, how she's related to, like, the larger the world at large, and specifically, like, uh, Hugo and his country, um, going into that fight, how, how Sid is generically speaking kind of put aside leaving it you know to clive having to fight her on the roof of that castle and then the 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 way that it incorporates torgal being injured and then coming back to save you and things like that just that whole sequence that that was kind of like the very first it's kind of like the very first like arc of the game if this was an if this was like a manga or an anime that'd be like the first arc um kind of really sold me the the prologue did as well but the the fact that that was kind of divorced from the larger setting of the game. It was kind of self-contained within um, Rosalith. Didn't quite sell it as much to me. But after going through that, the first arc there, I was like, yeah, this is, I'm enjoying this a lot from a narrative perspective. I think uh, for me, and I'm, I'm thinking, I think I, what really got me um, really interested in the game was uh, something that Chow mentioned earlier, where there was like a parasite quest uh, after you meet the dame and you're going to this uh, coastal village to you know figure out some stuff, but there's like this side quest you get uh, two side quests, but there's a one specific side quest that I won't spoil what happens in it. But you talk to this little girl, she's trying to find her pet, and then you know what happens in that quest and like uh, really uh, for me established the tone of this game in like a really surprising way because I think that really that 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 one quest did a lot to like kind of set the set the stage of like how this world um operates in the like in the way that like how social classes are divided and not and not just like how you how not just like a clear-cut like uh slave versus master type deal but like in terms of like the influence of this um social class idealism like like how early is it taught to a person let's say so that that was an interesting um, side quest that made me go, man. I really hope they start, like, if they lean into this, how will that affect the like the narrative beats of this game? And I think they do a pretty decent job on like leaning into that concept in like the bigger picture of like the main story at that part of the game. I think that kind of goes back into what Colin was saying. It's like, yeah, most of the side quests, mechanically speaking, are not that interesting in terms of what you actually do. And maybe about a third of them are also not that interesting in terms of what you learn or what you experience. But a good half of the remaining two thirds do elaborate on some characters that you've met or introduce a little wider segment of the world or just kind of give you an excuse to like go to a place like, oh, what is the name of the town that's right before you go into the uh, Imperial area? It's North. It's called like Northfield or Northland or something like that. And Northridge. you don't Northridge. Yeah. And you don't need to spend a lot of time there. And then also like um, Eastpool. You don't spend a lot of time there because of the events that happen there. So just these side quests, even though they're not mechanically that interesting, admittedly, it just kind of gives you an excuse just to kind of spend more time and like remember like, oh, that's what this that's what uh, 
Eastpool is, or that's what Lost uh, Northridge is, or that's Lost. Uh, what's Lost? I'm, I'm blanking on the name. The 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 Lost, Lost Wing. Wing. Yeah, and like who who those people are, and the quest uh, with Quentin and and Lost Wing actually has on some pretty big gravitas as well as like what he's experienced and like the, how that place came to be. So I'm not gonna say that all the side quests have like immaculate great you know earth-shattering writing but they they do some interesting little just look-ins at the world that is a little bit more normal you experience in the confines of the gameplay more directly than going to tomes and just reading about it or going to vivian and seeing it on the map i guess my last question uh for, i guess for the people here is like what's been your general playstyle like in terms of like your icon kit layout have you been like mixing and matching a lot of icon skills or have you been, been like this? I, I think been, the only kit I don't like is the Garuda kit, in my opinion. I just really? like the Deadly oh. Embrace, but I don't oh. like the kit itself. Okay, you do like way too many hits, and then you just leave yourself vulnerable, so you would have to like dodge and cut your combo short. And aerial launch is like very situational, so mm -hmm. I don't like the. Or the other move is where you just like you do like a big backflip. Then do a big swing in front of you. I feel like the Garuda kid is completely trash, and I completely like got rid of it once I like got Ifrit's ability, Ignition, Mill Whiffs, Ignition is OP, and dispel those two Eric's dead. You know, I, like, I took, it took that a lot of me to warm up to Garuda kit, but the more I used it, the more I liked it. I still can't quite use Rook's Gambit, which is like the counter you get, but the Deadly Embrace, the Gouge is my my. If I just need a press press button, deplete stamina meter for an enemy, gouges it for it for me. And then I like the aerial, like how how it um, just meshes well with, with kind of stringing together aerial combat and aerial combos. And the the greatest thing about the the, the combat system though is that it's like because I was in a similar thing where it's like I really love uh, deadly embrace because I need my narrow grab, but I don't like the rest of these. Oh, I can just slap on Rima um like abilities on here or bahamut abilities because i i like this but i don't really want the actual abilities itself it, or the like, feet, like like the, the like the feet of the icon like the circle ability yeah and uh, like with rama i like the shot lock but it's not like my ideal but i love rama's abilities and you can just mix and match and i ended up doing a lot of that by the end yeah. of the game so in our discord uh, in our thread for Final Fantasy, someone did a combo where they did a really high stacker amount using a lot of Rama abilities. I'm like, oh shit, maybe I should look at this more. Because I, I kind of looked at him like, yeah, this is fine, but I won't use it. But like his shot lock, it puts down, it's basically like a debuff. Whenever this enemy takes damage, they'll take additional damage every time you hit. So they put like Rama's shot lock little electric orbs on an enemy right before they staggered or right, right at the start of their stagger and then went into the rest of their combo. I'm like, oh shit, that's how you, that's part of the way of getting that, uh, that number to go really high and then the judgment bolt that you have to spend a lot of ability points into I'm like oh man uh, i should i should look into rama more i've been using a lot of just ifrit and phoenix i've been trying to change it up when i got the bahamut kit i've been trying to use it but it seems more of like a range kind of like technique kit um like there's there's orbs that you can like fire off and then you like explode them once they charge up enough damage as they do like repeated little small hits uh, but I haven't quite found a way to like implement that into like my play style. So I, I've been struggling with trying to get the Rama kit to fit. Um, I feel like the Bahamut kit, it's more like it's made to kill things. It, it like melt enemies when they're in stagger state, when you shoot the giant beam at them. Yeah. And then um, I, the Ifri kit, or sorry, not the Ifri kit, the Titan kit. Um, so each kit is basically your little, they're like key ability there, the O ability that is stuck to that. And then the other abilities that you can eventually master and move off. 
Um, just the, the the basic one that you get that's just like a giant punch with a wind up, just a falcon punch. I forget what it's called. It's called like I don't know, giant punch. It's not called that, <laughs> but I, that one just feels so satisfying to land every single time. So oh yeah, I, I master that and I keep it with uh actually my Garuda kick because I keep the Garuda kick because I love Deadly Embrace to do the half stagger pull down. Um, but then I just keep the the Titan punch just to because it feels really good to land. Okay, and then and then Ign and ignition is OP because it just like balls up enemies. And then you can just like AOE them down once they're all yeah. in a big giant cluster. So, so my 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 main my main setup against like enemies that have stagger is very Garuda kit focused. Like, so like that that gauge ability, uh, Chow. I I make it safe with Villovis. I combine Villovis with gauge, and but the combination gouge? of those are gouge. My bad. I G O G A. Um, um. So I I combine Villovis and gouge together. To make uh, gouge safe, and uh, and they both do like st a shit ton of stagger. So I pretty much like uh, like force fifty percent like a mini stagger very very fast uh, with that, and then deadly embrace. And I'll then go die really fast for you then. Yeah, th th the things die very very fast at this point. So at that at that point, the like the last fifty percent of the stagger for me is uh, I I use I I mixed uh, Ramos uh, Rama's like. Um, Post ability like the big AOE, but it does a lot of stagger as well with with Ifrit, uh, and then uh, so I can uh, usually get that and uh, an ignition off before it uh, recovers, and then by that time they have only either they're either staggered by this point or very very little the uh, little stagger at this point, and then uh, I use uh, Titan's abilities on that. But what I also use a lot like in, for bigger enemies uh, that have like big sweeping attacks is I use the the Titan shield a lot to perfect parry. Because uh, like for me, it's just like Royal Guard from DMC, and I'm very, very used to that kind of play stuff. I love Royal that. Guard I love that lot. parry from the shield. Yeah. It has like that so much impact when you land it, and that's why I love using it. Yeah, and, um, and it builds up your your limit break gauge a lot when you perfect parry as well. So like I put like, in a lot of limit break uh, in my uh, general play style. I, like I feel like the timing for like regular parry, the one where you clash at the same time as the enemy is hitting, is a little bit hard to time, and that gives you the witch time. But mm -hmm. I, I still prefer using the Titan Fairy because the time for doing that's much more easier than the than the standard parry, in my opinion. I've been doing a lot of the standard parry a lot more because, like, it may like once you do once you have a long enough limit break bar, like there your opportunities to do that is a lot more frequent because you're firing off attacks so fast that like by the time that like you're trying to fire off an attack towards you, there's a good chance that you'll fire off normal parry during your limit break, uh, combo string. So that's uh, that, that's a uh, that, that's uh, like food for thought there because like you just uh, once you start like noticing that it's like oh this is very explainable. <laughs> well, I also find like the whole limit break thing is a bit OP. Like you don't even need to worry about potions at that point. It's like you just transform, you get most of your health back by the time that you're probably get hit again. You know, and then it's like oh you can also spam that tonic to get back your limit break gauge very fast. You want to like I haven't, I haven't used taunt that much. Does taunt really like charge up uh, limit break that fast? Well, it helps. Oh yeah, that's true. But 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 for me, it's just like if I'm not doing damage or stagger damage at any second, that I'm like not, <laughs> I'm being un uh, unproductive. So we've been going at it for about what an hour now, an hour and ten minutes, and we've kept this pretty much entire no eighty minutes now, basically, uh, entirely like spoiler free. So did we want to just kind of keep any further discussions about the narrative for like a later discussion. Once we have all kind of beaten the game, we can kind of speak to it openly and just kind of 
for the whole discussion. Basically, there's any uh, there's any topic that we haven't quite covered yet. I think we've kind of hit we, pretty much. The, I the think we hit everything except for the yeah. music, I guess. Oh, music, that's a good one. <laughs> It's I mean, like it's it's so good. good. It's very, very <laughs> it's good. not much to really say. It's like uh, Soken is one of know, the I, best. I know some people say like they don't like some people don't really like Soken's soundtrack. So I know there's some people are like that. But you know what? I think what Soken really master is the timing of his music. Like I don't know like what's yeah. up with it, but like his music plays the chorus at the exact moment that you're probably gonna land a stagger on enemies. It's like the chorus will start to play like around a minute, like and half mark. And I'm, also, like, I'm also sure that's like you know it's part of the programming the way the like the certain parts of the song like are swell up like depending on like the what's happening in the fight you know it's not like all entirely timing based it's not like a I, I know like like the <laughs> part where like uh, Clive fights with with himself like it always plays the chorus when when you're engaged in a cinematic stripe right mm-hmm. yeah like it will be like oh uh, suddenly like this part of the music played, and also when you're in the cinematic strike, it, it winds back to that chorus part of it. So. Uh, well, well, like yeah, I mean, it, it like the the music is definitely the most impactful, like in your face, like during the icon fights. But I really like a lot of the slow, somber tones. Yeah, uh, uh, I like that song. I know Alex is like, oh, it's like I was expecting a more epic uh, battle theme for this or something like that. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like no, it's like I actually like those music more. Uh, there's a there's a song like that in Final Fantasy XIV where you fight the Midgard Strong. I've got to say his name, though. and you hear like the dragon boss theme, and it's like a very slow playing theme that sounds kind of similar like that. And it's one of my favorite tracks in it. But I many people think that highly of it for some reason. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, so. It, uh, like it, like it can be hard for people to, like you know, to pick up on like our appreciate like like the slower music type of stuff. And I get that, you know, because like uh, like compared to like some of like the very 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 over the top things that happen in this game it's uh you know but but you know Sokin really really did an amazing job with uh with the soundtrack in this game it's it's very impactful and like very and very effective than it needs to be even in the slower moments uh of the game and, it, and it's but it's hard to like talk about it without like mentioning specific story stuff too <laughs> i remember we'll get going back into to it. Yeah, when when we when we go to the desert area, mm-hmm. it's a it's a very like typical like imagine a desert theme, and you probably have like a, something in your mind in terms of like how that's usually like the instrumentation that usually accompanies that. But the one that they implemented here were just it felt like really appropriate to the place, and I just I remember just like kind of this this sounds a bit cliche, but I just kind of sat there and listened to the music play for a bit. Um, the other thing that kind of stuck out to me initially, I thought it was a bit negative, but I came to appreciate it is during the icon fight with Bahamut. It starts out with a lot of like very typical over the top chanting uh, choir based music. And then it kind of goes into something that's a little bit more classical and subdued, which mm-hmm. kind of actually fits like the tone of that fight in terms of like what's going on in the um, the narrative of it. So I actually kind of like in the moment, I thought this is kind of a diff- an interesting choice. But like, you know what? I, I appreciate it. It's something quite different. It's not just Gregorian uh, chanting up and down the whole way. I also appreciated that because like it very it, it fits the shot composition because it, the the fight takes place at nighttime and like there's like a lot of like very bright lights uh, like uh, due to like the 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 weapon uh, effects visual effects going on and like the the way that kind of they blend with each other to make up that shot composition during that fight like really. It's the classical theme of uh, 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 BGM going on during it, and I was like, "There's a pretty interesting way to like present this fight in like in a pretty unique banner that you haven't seen in this game yet." No, those two were the highlights for me. Just entering the desert and then the Bahamut fight, and then of course, like the Titan fight had a shit ton of like 
really epic, you know, probably kind of more expected music. It wasn't quite as subversive, but still very fitting all the same. Well, we might just leave it at that for our initial look in at Final Fantasy 16. Now, clearly won't be the last time we talk about it, especially if we're able to get um, Alex on next week. I know Alex, if you follow his Twitter at all, if he's own runner, he's had a, a lot of thoughts on this game. Um, like RPG site was founded basically as a Final Fantasy fan site. So, of course, this is something that is near and dear to him and near and dear to us as a site. Uh, so we're almost certainly I don't know if it'll be next week or maybe a few weeks out just to space it out a bit. But we will almost certainly revisit Final Fantasy 16 and probably be a little bit more open going into. We'll, we'll have a, a group of people that have all seen the credits. We'll explicitly mark that as a spoiler um, warning if we go into that. Uh, but we'll kind of earmark that for later. Um, but uh, well, while you're here, so thank you so much, Colin, for all the work that you've done, not only marathoning this game, getting out a review, but also contributing a whole lot to all the other like accompanying features that have gone up on the site in terms of uh, guides, the hunt list, the quest list and things like that. And then, of course, cool. James as well for the um, the interview that he was able to have at uh, Summer Games Fest with the, the two voice actors for for Clive and for Sid. I'm I'm glad to be given the opportunity. I don't really like sleeping that much, so you know it worked out. So now we're gonna go into loop eight. Someone forgot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, hold on now. <laughs> Damn, he ditched us. Well, uh, so <laughs> no, he's back. <laughs> so we're. I mean, gonna... like, it's like uh, hold on, like, how does it feel to go from like loop eight to FF sixteen? Like, I don't think many people can like claim to like do that you know um it was actually quite nice to go from the feeling of it's so over to we're so back <laughs> a bit of a bit of whiplash uh i it, it again it, it's it, it's just it's great because i think lupe will be the worst game i have i will have played all year long uh and it is now specifically because it's going to make me more cautious about the kind of games i i want to play this year and be more wary of any game that looks like it might be something special on a budget. Hmm. So we're going to go, oh. we're going to go into this a little bit later in this podcast. And then of course we've had a lot of new release dates over the last couple of weeks and we'll go into this a little bit later, but man, September just, I hope my family doesn't expect to hear from me just because there is so much coming out in September or like the last couple of days in August in terms of new releases. And then we've, we're already getting a bunch of games coming up in the October, November time frame. Uh, just never enough time. So, Colin, if you want to say, we're going to go into basically the news and the announcement basically from uh, the Nintendo Direct, which had probably wasn't the busiest Direct in terms of... We've had some Nintendo Directs that have so many RPG, RPG relate, related announcements that were just absolutely swamped. Wasn't quite the case here, but we did have a few, um, a few surprises. One very big surprise from this. So we're going to go straight into that does that sound all right uh i can stay for a little bit uh i am gonna probably have to head out soon uh, but i yeah i'm totally down to talk to nintendo direct because it was a, a pretty fun direct yeah so we're gonna there's basically two key headliners of nintendo direct the one i'm gonna open with is the one that was um unfortunately leaked and we kind of preempted the discussion uh a bit last week and that is the announcement of star ocean the second story R. Now, I do say we preempted this, but we didn't have really any idea what this was. So last week, we kind of re reported on the fact that the, the title and the logo for this game has leaked 
on a Square Enix support website. And of course, we had a little bit of speculation, like what is the second story R? Of course, we drew comparisons to first departure R and what that was. And the fact that this was Mark's second story and not second uh, second evolution, what does that mean? Uh, of course, we were, you know, had a few speculative speculative ideas up and down of what this might be, but I don't think anyone quite nailed exactly what it ended up being. It turns out that Star Ocean, the second story R, is effectively a, I put this in air quotes, an HD 2D remake of Star Ocean, the second story. It's not quite HD 2D in terms of the way that Square Enix uses it as a marketing term, but it's the same idea of combining high definition environments and art with a 16-bit style um, graphical stylings for like the sprites and the characters. So because during the Final Fantasy 16 discussion, Adam did not have a chance to participate there, I'm going to go ahead and cue him in here. Hopefully he's listening uh, to tap back over and say, Adam, Star Ocean, the second story are when you saw this, uh, what was your what was your thoughts when this was unveiled and we finally got to see what this game actually was for the first time? Well, full disclosure, we already knew this was happening and before the leak even. And I was told it was a remake. I was kind of surprised. Like you might have known this. I, I didn't know this. I shared this in our internal chat that it was uh, more of a remake than a remaster. Well, I, I didn't see any images or video. I didn't know what to talk about. There's a lot of inside baseball talk in this podcast. <laughs> Those are trade yeah. secrets, Brian. You don't Those leak are. trade secrets. Yeah, both Adam and I, I think we hear from different people about some Square Enix stuff, but we've pretty much come to the conclusion that the people we're hearing from have the same source. Yeah. Because we keep hearing the same stuff. So. Uh, just so you know, when you, uh, when you linked the uh, Star Ocean R Steam page, I got linked that at the exact same time from a different direction. I'm like, wait a minute. Nice. <laughs> so like, I think this came from the same place ultimately. But anyways, yeah, so we kind of knew it was more or supposedly more of a remake than a remaster, even though people expected it to be more like the uh, first departure remaster, which that first departure R, if you're not aware, is basically just the PSP version with new art. That's really what it is. And I reviewed that. I gave it a six. I think it's an okay game. I've never really been fond of it. Uh, I think it's kind of mashy. I don't think the characters are great. Uh, I do think the first Star Ocean, or even the PSP version, one thing that's cool about that game that you don't see very frequently in the genre is that there is a total of like, I don't know, 10 different characters you can join that can join your team, or maybe more than that, more like 12. But you can only recruit like half of them. And have depending on your playthrough and which choices you make, you might have a very different party depending on what choices you make. And that's kind of cool that two different people can play through the game with totally different parties. And you, you never see that anymore in terms of optional characters. Because, you know, when a, when a game developer makes a character, they want you to play as them. So I think it's just cool that these games have, like, you know, you can either choose character A or character B. Uh, and Starshin 2 is the same way in that there are various characters you can get, and there's some that you can get depending on, you know, choices you make, kind of an either-or situation. Uh, there, This is definitely a remake. It's got this... They're, they're not calling it HD 2D. It's more like... what did, I forget what they they called it, like... 3D 2D. 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 Oh, yeah. I think, oh, God. I think depending on where you looked in, like, the asset guide or whatever, they're like 3D 2D or 2.5D. Yeah, 2.5D, something uh, like that. Jesus. <laughs> But it's basically 2D sprites on a 3D world, which is not what the original is like, or the PSP version. 
And my, my playthrough for the original PlayStation version went through really poorly on Star Ocean 2. <laughs> yeah, because you you just rejected everyone for some Yes, reason. I did. I rejected everyone. I heard a guy that said is like, if you reject this guy, this, you can get this guy later. But in the end, I didn't read the full guide, so I just rejected everybody. So you and just had Claude and Reyna. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like totally fucked by like near the end of the game. It's like this is very hard. Um, I'm like, I think my brother's done. <laughs> So this game, it looks great, you know, it's, I, I expect it to be structurally the same as Star Ocean 2, and Star Ocean 2 didn't have as dramatic of a difference from PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2, or, or sorry, PlayStation Portable, and um, the art is from the artist, I don't have the name in front of me right now, who did uh, Infinite Undiscovery, uh, which is, the artwork itself is really good, and it's a little bit different. It's not an artist we see a lot. Yukihiro Kajimoto. Yeah, and it's it, it looks really nice. Reina Isn't doesn't look the... like an elementary school girl anymore. Yeah, the, 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 the one for for Reina, they really did an amazing job with Reina. Yeah, if you're if you're not aware, uh, uh, I'm not gonna say everyone, but a lot of people were kind of disappointed in Reina's redesign from PlayStation One to PSP. They made her look like way younger, like. Like I said, people joke elementary school. It's just it's kind of like this is a little bit weird, but now she looks I, like you know a tomboy teenager, like she sh- like she should. And sure, they were trying to capture the look from the um, anime. Uh, has anyone seen the Star Ocean Two anime, Star Ocean X? Yeah, I didn't know that existed. Yeah, it, it's actually pretty okay. It actually covers the first disc, and then you never get it a second only covers. Season. The, it only covers the first disc. Yeah, you never get a second season, so you don't know what happens in the end. So you had to play the game to find out. <laughs> I've written about this on the site. One thing I like about the Star Ocean series is, especially the first couple of games, all the weird, like, mechanical, like, systems that underlie, not necessarily combat, but, like, the crafting and all the different, like, personal skill systems that are in the game. And it's the sort of thing where it's like, honestly, it's not balanced at all. You can break these games wide open. And I actually kind of appreciate that. Star Ocean 2 in particular... At around a halfway point in the game, you can get infinite money. And I know some games have infinite money tricks, but it's 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 somewhat involved in how to do it. But my point is, is that there's all these different like crafting and personal skill systems in the game. If you remember, there's like you can have characters play like instruments to do different effects and you can have different crafting, different like skills uh, for each of the different characters to unlock personal skills. These are this is all common to Star Ocean and there's some wild things you can do. So I like that aspect of it. Star Ocean 2, like, I think easily has the best story out of any of the games, including 6. Uh, best characters. A lot of the side characters are really fun. I like Ashton. He's this guy who seems like he'd be cool because he's got two different dragons on his back, but he's actually a really big dweeb. Um, <laughs> you know, you got Priestess, who's kind of like a, a robo-girl, and a bunch Dia of other type. characters that are really cool. Sorry? I've... Oh, DS is basically your your cool swordsman with long flowing hair, and you cannot get him if you play as Claude. You have to play nope. as Rena to get him. Yeah. yeah, I I'm I'm excited about this because like everyone I know that's like ostensibly a Star Ocean fan, like consistently people are like, yeah, Star Ocean Two is the best one. Like, and, like I've seen like a range of opinions where it's like, yeah, there's other games in the series that are good, but Star Ocean Two is the only one that's really great. I've even said people say that Star Ocean 2 is a game that has uh, carried the franchise through a bunch of turbulence just because people want to see another game like it. So it's like, I, I, I got to see it, like if, if it lives up to that hype. 
I, some people, some people are a little hope, bit more down on it and say, well, Star Ocean 2 is the only good one. They won't say it's the only great one. They'll say it's the only good one. Yeah, good, relatively great. Only, only I, I just said that, so... I, I think I, I think I think what's really fascinating about this remake is you know the 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 key staff is not the same as the original aside from Sakuraba doing the music, you know like you have the you have a battle programmer from Star Ocean three the first two Valkyrie profile games like pretty much helming you, this project as a producer and director. Do you think, Katao. Do you think Sakuraba composes music while he sleeps? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but you know that, but that, you know, those are the, uh, those are the songs that end up in the Tales games. <laughs> yeah, because the original like directors for this game was like Joe Asanuma, Misaki uh, Norimoto, or Masaki Norimoto, and I believe uh, Yoshiharu Gotanda. Gotanda's so, basically a founder of. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, so now you decide. I don't, I don't know if this uh, Kitao's first like uh, director role. Like I know him as a producer from some other project but I, I don't know if he's ever directed you know a, a game project before so that's really interesting as you mentioned you know yukihiro kajimoto uh infinite uh, undiscovery um main like a character designer but also did work on the star ocean mobile game uh, as well so you know direct lineage from that and then the art director on this one is yukinori masuda who uh worked on the first two uh, valkyrie profile games as well along with tristar so, pretty interesting uh, staff list that's uh, heading this um, second story remake. I think I'm really interested. Like, what were your guys' like first impression when you first saw like the visuals of this remake, like in that Nintendo Direct or like whatever care or whatever trailer you saw first, whether you're watching I, the Direct or the standalone trailer? When I saw it in the Direct, my thought was, "This doesn't look great," but I'm pretty sure if I if I see screenshots or videos on anything but the Switch, it'll look fantastic and i was correct <laughs> yeah this, i can't wait also... to get this on switch and be the only person on the side who does that can you imagine true. if square enix acted like atlas and they pretended this game was a switch exclusive for like two days <laughs> that would have required nintendo to pay money to uh have a company pretend a game is switch exclusive for only two days instead of for six months to a year and then it still gets leaked anyway uh, before before the official announcement. <laughs> I only um, hope my only my biggest hope for this game. The the earlier Star Ocean titles, I still feel like they get a little bit um repetitive in the combat, and that once you find like the good skills, the best way to play the game is just to like spam mash the those over and over <laughs> yeah. and over again. I actually think Star Ocean Six did a pretty good job minimizing that the way those cooldowns work in that game. So I kind of hope they'd make a couple of combat tweaks there rather than, you know, just go into the battle and just spam the same skills over and over. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it does not have tweaks to it, but it's I don't know if it's going to be like super meaningful. Like they do have like a break gauge now uh, for, for enemies. And there's also like for uh, party members that you have in your backline, you can actually summon them as like assists in battle. Oh, I didn't even uh, realize that. Yeah. Uh, so I just wonder, like, what would they do with the voice acting? Would they hire? Oh, they explained this. Um, it was explained in the asset guide. So the Japanese voices, there's two different tracks. There's the original PlayStation 1 cast and the, and the PSP cast. And I believe they're all newly recorded for this. Oh, remake. so just like the first parts yes. are on the Switch then? Yes. Or, and and then um, yeah, it's kind of funny how first departure R didn't get a Steam port. Anyways. Um, it didn't? The, no, no, it does not. That's wild. <laughs> now, the, the English voices are there from the PSP version, but it seems like it's just the PSP version. Like, they didn't re-record. 
So oh. the English voices, I think, are okay. They're not great. I actually do mm -hmm. like Eden Regal as Reina. I'm not so fond of Spike Spencer as Flood, but it's basically it sounds like it's got the PSP voices, and they're just as they were. Maybe, maybe they have higher quality like uh, recordings, like bass recordings. Oh, maybe that's true. The PSP have... has they always had that like tinny sound, so maybe it'll be better. Bring back the PS1 voices. What are we doing? Oh my yeah, god! No I, PS1 I, English voices. I would go deaf with all that battle screaming that they do. It's like Xenoblade, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's you know, that's really exciting. You know, like Star Ocean Two, one of the classics. You know, uh, I, it's been a long time since I uh, since I played it. I can't. I, rem I don't even remember the last time I played it. It has to be like more than seven years ago. Adam, I'm... please write a guide for this so I don't reject everybody. I'm uh, pretty. I've I've never managed to get through more than like an hour of this game because I tried the PSP version. And if I remember correctly, one of the things that really pissed me off was that you could not skip through uh, like lines of dialogue without waiting for the voice acting to finish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that sounds right. And it, and it like it's such a small thing, but. I, I don't like I didn't really care for like the voice acting to begin with, so I was just sitting there. While everyone was slowly finishing out their lines, and I was just yeah. like, "Oh, come on, please pick it up!" So I'm really excited to give it another shot. This remake looks fantastic. So when I last played this, I played this as Reyna as my main character on the PSP. So I'll, if if I do play this, I'll probably just be like, "All right, I'll pick Claude and try to get all the different characters that I didn't get before." Not that I it's been long enough that I don't quite remember even like the broad beats of the story. So it'll just be interesting to revisit that. One thing I did not state is that this was, I don't think I stated this, um, this was given a release date. It'll be releasing on November 2nd worldwide. And that is for not only the Switch, because of course it was announced in the Nintendo Direct, but also on PS4, PS5, and PC via Steam. The other major announcement from the Nintendo Direct, so this actually like leaked like imminently, like a few hours beforehand. And... I and many others that I saw were like, this has to be fake. That There's no way this is real. This is just bollocks. This is just someone being a goof. There was, there was remakes for a certain um, Super Nintendo RPG. Uh, Super Mario RPG is going to be remade for the Switch. I'm like, that's no way. They're not going to do that. Um, turns out, Nintendo announced that Super Mario RPG is being remade for the Nintendo Switch. So it's just, as far as we can tell, being called super mario rpg so it no longer has the subtitle legend of the seven stars which was added for the english release uh initially in the first place and then this is a full remake but made in kind of like the same graphical style i'm, tr I'm trying, trying to explain that where all the characters are kind of like chibi-fied a little bit um but obviously rendered in a completely new modern uh, engine time for you and to eat crow <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I I saw this and I thought that that just has to be fake. That there's no well, way they actually. To be did fair, this. I heard this rumor like it was bundled with a Chrono tr Chrono Trigger remake rumor. Is when that I was the, heard that, it. that was the other one and that it, was going around. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, there's no way. Though so, I was a cynic. I was a cynic because I saw people saying, "Oh, there's going to be an HD 2D uh, SNES remake," and I thought. They're getting their wires crossed. We're going to see Dragon Quest 3 HD 2D, and then we're going to see the Fire Emblem remake. 
Nope. Zero for Where is that Dragon Quest remake? I'm losing it over here. Like to like to be honest, like I thought that like the very first seconds of like the trailer where they were like showcasing like the old graphics from the SNES, like, oh they're just gonna re-release it like on their Nintendo online service. It's like ah people just got like you know got worked up over nothing. Then they showed us get you know the new 3D graphics overlaid on top, like what the fuck is going on? Like, they learned they learn from Square, okay? They learned not to be like, was that guy, the producer where he came in and he announced, oh, here's Final Fantasy VII. Oh, no, it's a part of the original. And everyone's like, what the fuck? What's, kind of, so, what's funny in hindsight about that is that Remake had it in, in production at that point, but he announced the original. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this looks, you know, this looks pretty fantastic. It's like, what would you, well, what you would expect from like a modern, uh, like a Super Mario RPG with like a modern graphical so, so style super mario rpg is kind of like when you talk when you think about like the rpg part of it it's sort of like a beginner's rpg it's yeah. not super complex it's somewhat easy but it's got like this sort of it's kind of like part charm but also part just weird to it it's it's got a lot of like really goofy weird kind of eclectic strange characters and moments and uh Things like that, and you know, at the time was just very bizarre. Obviously, seeing Mario in this style in an RPG, um, the game is not very long. I think it's like a twenty-hour game. Uh, I'm all for twenty-hour RPGs. Oh yeah, I, I think it's even shorter than that. If I remember. Yeah, you can over to go. Then yeah, uh, I, it is very novel for its time. Like, absurdely novel for this time. Obviously, right? Like, I think watching the, the I think watching the trailer. I think now they made the game like super easy. You could actually like see the exclamation mark to then hit the button prompts. Because okay. in the old game, if you press the button prompts at the right time, like for example, Mario does a punch. If you press it the right time, he does a double punch. And now you get to see the prompt when to press it instead of like in Super Nintendo, you just kind of kind of guess when to press it. Right? I think that's honestly, I think change. that's for the best. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll make I, the game will, too easy. I will well, say, yeah, I I will say that um, I'm very happy for Super Mario RPG fans. Uh, I'm sorry, Paper Mario fans. You know what that like that producer director said, where it's like, oh, the reason why it's no longer an RPG is there's that uh, we have another Mario RPG series. You're never getting it back. You need to just it, it's over. It's over. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, man. I mean, I mean, like, is it really over? Like, they, they like it used to be super over for Super Mario RPG people for like how many years? Well, no, but the but the specific reasoning for why Paper Mario is no longer an RPG, it, it, oh, like a new one, you mean? Yeah. yeah okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace, but, um, Alpha Dream. Yeah. Like, kinda... Mario and Luigi. I always was a bigger fan of Mario and Luigi. I'm, I'm so fucking sad. We're never gonna get. I mean, one yeah, I, I think they're. I think they're better games. But I mean, just like as as a like a like almost like a base ground prototype of like the the uh, mixing the RPG aspect with Mario. You know, this is like this is like base level. Like that, that's yeah, where it's Yeah. So I mean, it's cool. You know, you get to see Mallow and Gino. Hmm. It looks like they, it looks like they might have limit breaks now. I'll be honest, I've played Mario RPG, but it's been so long that I'm like, did they not have Linux before? I don't even remember. No, I just I remember I I remember the uh the Axum Rangers. That's Hell what yeah. I remember. Hell yeah. And, and, and this week Mario turns into a fruit and says, fuck. <laughs> Finally, make it a good game. There you go. Um, but I, I did want to kind of like talk a bit about like uh I something about this particular kind of RPG has never clicked with my brain. Not to say it's bad, but that kind of turn-based, but you need to press a button at a specific time 
thing to do any meaningful damage has never like I, I, I can't do that kind of timing. I really don't get w- what's wrong with me in particular. Like I remember God years ago, I tried to play those South park RPGs, which are barely difficult at all. And I was struggling to do the damage because that's that timing thing that I just can't do. So them adding like, like markers on like when you need to press to do like what you need to do. I, I do appreciate that. And I'll probably give this uh super Mario RPG a shot. Finally, you know what child wants? He wants, he wants a story focus and action focused mode for this game. <laughs> and Down. story focus brings up those exclamation marks. Well, I think Colin's never going to play legend of dragoon. Then he'll never do those combos successfully. Nope. I've actually never had an urge to play that game. Never really stuck out to me as something I should go back and play. That's yeah, it's, it's a whatever game, to be honest. Yeah. I haven't that, heard anything uh, too glowing. That's another one that the rumors have been out for forever about them remaking that, supposedly. I think that's my wishful thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Sony would never touch that. And I, I either hear that it's the most amazing undiscovered gem ever or that it's hot garbage. Like, you it's know, whatever. The nuance of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, man, I, I I got a neighbor that that vouched for that game over Final Fantasy X. So you, you had a neighbor like, that vouched. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I thought like, you guys are delusional. This game is way better than Final Fantasy X. That's so like, sad. Do you have a release date on this Super Mario RPG? November seventeenth, same day as Persona Five Tactica. Uh oh, I, I know what I'm getting. It's definitely not Persona Five. <laughs> I'll be there playing the Persona 5 RPG. There we go. Finally, we have a true fan. I I'm so I need our SRPGs so bad. I'm so like Hey Cole, when are you gonna get back to Utsuarimono? Never. Fuck those games. They're bad. <laughs> they also have a timing system, right? You yep. know what? That that makes sense then. That at least you're thematically consistent. <laughs> also, I just think they're really boring and poorly paced. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's just Hold a prologue. And once you get through the prologue, I promise it'll be good. I I have I, I have decided that I am done with uh, it gets really good 20 hours in mindset. <laughs> it's okay, Colin. I I I'm with you in terms of like I tried to pick that game. I, I tried to start the first game like last year, or was it two years ago? I already forgot. But like on my Steam Deck, and then like so something came up and I never looked back again. And I was like, maybe I should go back. But you know what? You know what? If, if you're gonna go back. Just skip the first game. Just watch the anime and then just uh, start Mask of Deception. The first game is it's fine, but two and three are so much uh, better. Just... We're, 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 get, we're getting that it gets good to the 30 hours. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the second game. Yeah. And it's like I did play the second game ages ago and I did enjoy it. It's just like I can't do that. Like, yeah, F- Final Fantasy 13 thing. isn't good, but the second game is worth it. Just trust me. 13.2 was so good. Honestly, if you're like, if you're uh, quirky enough, you could just skip the first game and play 13.2. I recommend I, 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 I like the first game because I really like switching through the fucking saws. Oh no, me boxes. too. But I love 13.2. 13.2's like pretty fun. <laughs> it, it, it has a really stupid story, but it's pretty fun to play. Mm. Ending left me so bitter. I refuse to get the next game. I, I I like Lightning Returns, man. I, I mostly just me and my circle of friends that like Lightning Returns. No, I hear a lot of positive things about it. Uh, people basically said it's a Valkyrie profile light, you know. But it's like, hey, I'm not yeah, gonna yeah, buy yeah, it. Yeah, your one person party just likes FF16, man. It's like I, I, I refuse to buy it. I don't really keep a backlog 
but like one game that I purchased forever ago with intent of playing it and never have is is uh, Lightning Returns. Like I will play you someday. Fun games. <laughs> Good game. There were two other RPG announcements at the Nintendo Direct, a little bit lower, um, lower on the register than Super Mario RPG and Star Ocean 2 Remake. Uh, one of them was a RPG from Marvelous and Exceed set in the same universe as Rune Factory. This is a new RPG called Silent Hope. So this Wait, that's is the same. That's a Rune, like a Rune Factory world thing. I didn't yeah. even realize that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it now I'm actually kind of interested. The uh, the giveaway is the uh, the the, <laughs> the giveaway that I saw before it was actually confirmed uh, was uh, the cows the way that they're animated is like oh that's a Rune Factory cow that's like yep uh, damn so this well, is... I wasn't even paying attention to the trailer so I didn't even know it's Rune Factory related to <laughs> yeah so Chow and I were, are of the same mind here yeah so uh, this is uh, an action RPG from like an isometric perspective it looks like something where if it was released um, like five or ten years ago it'd be like a DS 3DS game. Uh, and I'm I'm only saying that to just describe like what it looks like, not to like make a judgment call on that. I saw a lot of people say, and I'm taking their word for it. When we posted this, they're like, "It looks like Dragalia Lost." It does. <laughs> it does. I I never would have like I that never that thought never went uh, like through my mind when I first like at least saw the trailer once. But then like now I'm thinking back, I'm like, you know what? Maybe they got a point. Fuck. <laughs> Shit. In terms of gameplay, then. No, just in terms of well, visual style and gameplay, I guess, like the the, the perspective, I suppose. So that's huh. I have a feeling it's so complicated about that. So when is this coming out? Uh, it's coming out in October, October third. That's coming out a few days earlier in Japan in late September. Um, so this is a game where you can take control of seven heroes, each with a unique weapon, and I guess the idea is is that there is no voices. Like the, the reason why it's called Silent Hope is because the only person that can speak is the princess. So that's kind of like the, um, I guess, the, the narrative of the game, at least the premise. But it looks like they call it basically an isometric dungeon crawler of sorts. Uh, as for what the, like what you actually do in the game. What does the player do with the controller? Where they, uh, people they bitch about one Silent for that. Now you have seven. Oh, shit. That's so over. <laughs> this game's cooked. One thing that's sort of interesting in Japan, this game has a different title. And apparently it's Federica. Like the name Frederica, oh, and it's like, why? Why is that? Is that like the princess's name? Uh, I don't it reminds know. me of the name of of the evil woman from Ace of Twenty Two. That's <laughs> I just, I just think of a, a triangle strategy character. Interesting <laughs> triangle strategy is a, a more recent uh, cut. more fitting. Yeah, okay, as well. Chow. Chow's like, you know what? I only know one Frederica in video games. <laughs> But it's it's for a game like this. I think landing in October is a pretty like there in the back half of the year. There's not a lot of gaps for like a smaller little title like this. But if there is like October is at least October as of right is now, a little bit better than September better than or September November. November. September sucks, dude. I actually like listed out September releases once we start yeah. more release dates, and it fucking sucks. You know, well, October's it, pretty bad too. It's not as bad. Uh, <laughs> poor I'm gonna fucking say. Alan Wake two. Poor Alan Wake two. Why poor Alan Wake two? <laughs> uh. It's releasing within a week of, uh, like, uh, the new 2D Mario, uh, Spider-Man 2, the new Sonic game, oh, and it was, like, one other thing. <laughs> oh, geez. And Mario uh, I'm just going to say, like, it, 
if all these games are coming out from you know like October to late November, it's like if there's an inner Nintendo Direct, then that shit's gonna be like 2024, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like we, oh man, we usually have like a Nintendo Direct in like the mid fall at some point. So. Yeah, I, guess I can't believe there. Mario took drugs for the new Mario game. He always been taking drugs. I mean, like, but, 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 but it's more explicit now. They're like they're not even like masking it anymore. It's like no. This guy's oh. a fucking druggie. Okay, have you played Yoshi Island for Super Nintendo or the Game Boy? Yeah, Lover? but it's like... Eh. Do you remember that level with the pollens? No. That's fun to get dizzy. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you should try it. It has a very good... I haven't played it in a long time. I did play it, but I don't remember much of it. It's almost like an LSD simulator right there. Well, speaking of uh, December releases, we did get one final RPG announcement in the Nintendo Direct, and that is the announcement of a new Dragon Quest Monsters title called Dragon Quest Monsters The Dark Prince. Now, in Japan, this is actually going to go under the title Dragon Quest Monsters 3, so they pulled a, um, a Yakuza Like a Dragon series here, where they decided they didn't want to scare away Western or new consumers with a number, so they gave it a subtitle instead, which I don't know like where, what side of the line I fall on that Dude, one. they're making Dragon Quest, like the, the sequel to Dragon Quest 4 with this game. That's fucking cool. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, that you you play you play as a as a, as a character like an antagonist from Dragon Quest Four that was all about like had a monster army and this game is all about how he raised that monster army. I I did not know like that. I thought I uh, yeah, figured yeah. that this was an original character. Nope, no, this character nope. is Sorrow or however you pronounce it. Sorrow, name, Sorrow, who is basically the antagonist of Four. Yep. And then at the end of the trailer, you see the protagonist of Four. Yeah. Like kind of looming there, and it's like, oh, this is gonna be so cool. So I, I did, I did see that, but I just thought that was like a cameo. I, I, I completely had my wires crossed on this. <laughs> yeah, I do like how yeah. December is now the Dragon Quest month because it's two years in a row. Because last year in December was um, Treasures. Treasures. So this year, it's... back to Treasures. It just I want to get that. Hit. Did the PC? <laughs> did the PC announcement ever get formalized? Was that just still nope. just a leak? That was like a. It was I like a rating board or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure that's just going to get shadow dropped at one point. It'll just, just like, oh yeah, it's out on PC now. That's that's so Square Enix. I I, I mean, when, how did they announce like Triangle Strategy? It was just like a week beforehand. Like, by the way, it's coming out on it, PC it, next it, week. And then like Octopath, like like just came out like on Game Pass out of nowhere without any prior announcement until that day when they like Microsoft. That happens sometimes. Which is you know the Square Enix stuff. But yeah, this new Dragon Quest monster looks fucking cool. But then again. Like all Dragon Quest monsters, it looks fucking cool. <laughs> it, it 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 does seem a bit like simple, like kind of like a Switch game, but mm-hmm. like it's not the most visually cool Dragon Quest game, but it's got still got the art style. It's it, like it, like it has a lot of heart, like yeah. yeah but it, it's just like for people who played Dragon Quest monsters game, it's like yeah, this is our shit. <laughs> yeah, and it it does seem like you're kind of more in line with how Eleven played a bit as well, and like looked and felt. Yeah, over yeah. something like treasures, which seemed at first like it would be kind of like a Dragon Quest, like modern but like chibi-fied version, and it just kind of felt a bit weird and not too much like a Dragon Quest game. Treasures is weird because apparently it started as a monsters game and then it yeah, became it, something else, and now here's another monsters game. It's like, oh, okay, so what happened with treasures? Like that's kind of weird. But like, I, I don't think Treasures is a bad game. I need to just, just sit different. down and play more. You know, it's just very different and not exactly what I go to Dragon Quest for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watched this and I, 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 I geeked out a lot. I love for it's one of my favorite Dragon Quest oh, games. So awesome. I love it's, it. 
I think like that original NES, uh, like series of dragon quest games four is easily the best and i love three but four is just so cool and this was it's, just like yeah, this was it, everything it's hard to be choose between three and four i really like them a lot as long as not two <laughs> we're good <laughs> but i because it's so weird i feel like it was only like last month where we got a coy little like guys we're we're making a dragon quest monsters game and typically when we get an announcement like that it's to say, like, we don't really have anything, and it's it's going to be a couple years. And it's just like, no, nah, it's coming out this year, and we have a date. And it's like, you okay. Really, you didn't really have to tease it, like, a week ago or whatever. Yeah, it, it's it was so weird, because I'm looking at this, and it's like, okay, this is a, like, this is a finished video game you're making last touches on. Like, yep. this is, this and, is done. And meanwhile, Dragon Quest Three HD 2D, so. Still nowhere to be found. I was trying to like well, I mentioned well, that earlier. We'll see HC two D, Dragon Quest three next December, like twenty twenty four, and then twenty twenty five will be and twenty twenty five will be Dragon Quest twelve. And uh, can I can I have a, a slight little tangent in mm-hmm. in that same line where it's like wow a a Dragon Quest four inspired brand new <laughs> Dragon Quest spinoff that's amazing. Hey Square Enix, can you? Can you please port that to any system that's not phone? Oh, like, oh the the actual Dragon Quest Four, yeah, yeah. Because they should just do a four, five, six. They should switch like they did the first three. They really should, and I'm so surprised they haven't yet. Because in all truth, those mobile versions at their core are very good. They're built off of the DS versions, which are amazing versions of those games. I and, think they're like the best version. If you don't count the mobile versions, I would say. Yeah, and like the mobile versions, their biggest like flaw is just they are on mobile. But for four in particular, it's a bit of like a sore spot because for in in the West, that is the only version of the game that has party chat, and party chat is the best it's ever been in four. Like it's really good in five. It adds a lot of like extra detail to the characters, but in four, that is where the script is is in party <sighs> chat, and people respond to so much of what you do in that game. And there's so much that builds on the characters. I think there might be a ROM hack that, that there's a, I, there is a, there is a uh, patch. There is a patch DS version. It's not well-made and it. That's what I heard. Yeah. It, I know on like, there's two different patches. Weirdly enough, there's one that tries to inject it in. And when I did that, all of my characters said error for every single line of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> and then the version, what's meant to be just like an English patch for the Japanese version uh, does not let you like it doesn't convert the um the keyboard, so you have to name your main character something in Japanese while oh, everything else uh, is in English. And it's just like what? That's weird. By the yeah, way, can you uh, still name give any Dragon Quest character your name or no? Uh, I think it it depends on the game itself. I think for <laughs> some of the DS ones, I might be able to. Like I think four, five, and six, I'd probably be able to, but not the spinoffs and not any of the modern games. Yeah, if, if you're why lost, your name is banned. Yeah, apparently Square Enix and Dragon Quest and other games do not like Cullen's name. No, like we have an ongoing beef uh, where they think my name is uh, referring to like Culling. Murder. Yeah, murder. So I can't do that in Near Automata. Uh, I can't do it in Dragon Quest Eleven. There was nothing worse than having to name my protagonist Eleven in Dragon Quest Eleven. <laughs> Jeez. Oh no. I was I was gonna ask you what your like what your alternate alter ego alias is if you can't use your name. I I typically will just look up 
whatever the canon name is or something. But for Dragon Quest, I'm like, yeah, no, I'll just put my name in because it's a my name is like uh, Scottish, which can kind of be like fantasy like. So it's not too like off where like, oh, I think when I first played Persona 4, just everyone saying like, oh, Cullen Kuhn. And I was just like, mm, this is weird. I don't like this. <laughs> I still vouch for Soji Seta. Everyone remembers that oh my name. God. You're, 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 you're reminding me now, like what they're going to do for Persona 3 Reloads English script. They're going to stop honorifics or not. This oh. is going to. Oh, wow. I, 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 I didn't think about that. Fuck. Did five did five have honorifics? Or no. Yes, but not as they weren't. I feel like they're phasing prominent. it out. Yeah. yeah, they're still yeah, they're slowly. They they, 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 they throw them in every once in a while, but in three and four especially, they kind of have them all over the place. Which especially in the English dub is just a little weird. It's so yeah. inconsistent. It was either like they do it or they don't. <laughs> it's like oh man. Anyways, his name is no longer Cullen Black. He is now Bullen Black. Bullen or Black? <laughs> oh, that's smart. I should have switched to Bullen. <laughs> but like, uh, I don't I, know, like. Uh, oh, do you sorry. ever look at the manuals and do they have like their names? Like I remember in like Final Fantasy Adventure or Psych uh, Psych and One, uh, the main character's name was people just call him Sumo because the instruction manual had the main character name is Sumo and people just treat that as the canon name. Well, I think I think probably with some of those Mana mobile games that are now gone or whatever, they gave them they called him Sumo. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so... both of you also to assume that games still have manuals. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no. well, the original uh, versions. No, yeah, no, nobody looks at the digital manual either these days too. But uh... the last time and pretty much only time I ever looked at digital manuals was when it was uh, the Wii U or the Vita, because those digital manuals were actually pretty damn good. The last time I actually read a manual was for Xenoblade X. I vividly remember this. It was like, how the fuck do you play this game? I was like, oh, there's a manual. I was like, oh, wow, there's actually a pretty well-made manual. <laughs> I have but, no um, idea on what manual it was. Maybe like Skyward Sword? With like this new Monsters game, I, I was not like, I, I like the Monsters games. I don't like, I prefer traditional Dragon Quest over them. I've never been able to actually finish one of the Monsters games. But like looking at this, like, oh, yeah, I'm all in. I'm I'm so ready. Just treated like a Mega Ten game, and yeah, pretty much. It's just something about those kinds of monster collecting games. Only Mega Ten hits, mm. probably because they love like one of the biggest things about Mega Ten is the combat is snappy. Uh, yeah, fair. That's true. And that is something the Dragon Quest monsters games don't really have because they are very like slower paced. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the other reasons why I just cannot stick with modern Pokemon. Is that it's just so oh, slow. I, I, I try. I tried. I tried to do the Pokemon whatever Violet, and I was like, I can't do this. Well, I, well, I, spe- I just, speaking was... of modern Pokemon, there was a trailer. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna latch onto this. Wait, so guys, give me the nope, opportunity. Good. So, uh, we, there's a new DLC that's coming out this year that we already were aware of as of last February when it was announced. This is the Hidden Treasure of Area Zero. It's a two-part DLC. The first part is called the Teal Mask and it is launching this fall. The second part is called the Indigo Disc and it's launching in winter. Um, the We got a new trailer for the DLC in general, but still no specific dates other than those general fall and winter timelines. So we got a trailer for the Teal Mask but I'll be honest here. I was like rewatching the trailer as you guys were talking about Dragon Quest to try to like pull like useful, like I want to be able to speak to this trailer with some like relevant, useful, good information. But I'm having difficulty like 
pulling anything they out of it. Two, they introduced two characters that are in the second part of the DLC. There's like a professor and a student. Yeah, Lacey and uh, what's the professor's name? Sayano. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're in like the second part of the DLC. And that's about it. They didn't, and they like, didn't even give these games, a, they didn't even give the first DLC a date yet. I was sort of expecting one. And even even in the, the press release, part, like the the first part doesn't have a lot of information tied to it. It seems like no. it's all in the second part. I think they revealed information about the first part earlier, but um, the first part. I, let me look this up. Actually, I don't remember the names of these. Uh, it's coming out in fall, and the other one's in winter. So, right, yeah. the mask is the first part, and in the Indigo disc is the second part. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all I know. I'll just I'll, I'll just say in general that I I do want to get to the credits on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. I'm assuming there's credits. Um, just there to are. say that I just to say that I did because I haven't seen Pokemon credits since Platinum, but I still have like two badges. I think I've done like two badges, three Titans, and two of the um, Team Star. Team I've actually Star looked at the and Violet is really really good, but I still stand by my review where it's like this should have been this holiday's Pokemon title, because if it had gotten, if, like, if it had even an ex- one extra year, man, it was so fucking close. So I'm looking at one of these so official screenshots for this, uh, for whatever they, for whatever DLC this is, and, like, one of these features like, is, like, three sculptures of, like, these, like, creatures or Pokemon uh, on it, and it, like, it looks so bad, because it, like, it, it zooms in on, like, a texture that they're, uh, that on what they're standing on, and it looks super fucking just blurry and awful. And I'm like, who who chose this screenshot to showcase this DLC? Remember <laughs> when uh, Legends Arceus was coming out and people were like, oh man, this game looks bad. And then uh, Scarlet and Violet comes out and it's like, you know what? Maybe I was too harsh on you. <laughs> I was like, just stepping through it and like, they just stood out. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> looks bad. Like as much as I've enjoyed the last couple of Pokemon games, and I and I have, they're very very good games. Something needs to change with the release schedule for that fucking franchise. They need to change it. I know they won't because the games are selling well, selling better than they ever have. But man, this is unsustainable. Something's going to give, and we're it basically already has. And I just hope, just fucking hope, somebody at management at like the Pokemon company and game freak realizes this and they start changing like how the pipelines working for those games. Cause they need to like, they just, need to. I mean, if they put up half the effort and it still sells as much it's like, they need to, it's not to about change. effort. It's not about effort. It's about the amount of time and resources that are allocated, like allocated to each game, even though they are some of the most successful games in the entire fucking world. I mean, clearly there's, there's a lot of effort put in. I mean, that, that's very evident. But like, like they're very, like, like for Sun and Violet, that should be the one you shouldn't be saying that about because they were very ambitious in that one. That was very not the norm for them. But it's still held together with like toothpaste. Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing is, like, trying to be even like charitable and positive, like, even if you adored Scarlet Violet, even if you thought those games were really great and you could look past the performance issues, the way that they're marketing this DLC, it's a single pack for two-parter, like like at the single price. It just seems like wait, and and it's fall and winter, so a season apart. 
I, it's a hard time not to just say just to like wait for both parts and then jump in because it seems like out of the two halves of this um, DLC that the first part based on the trailer and the press release and even like who you where you go in the tr in the game is just going to be very thin is my impression of the marketing for it so far. I mean, they did a similar thing with uh, the Sword and Shield DLCs, where it was like it was two separate releases over mm -hmm. a course of a couple of months. Yeah. And if it's anything like that, I think it's fine. But obviously you need to see how it actually turns out. And that covers all of the RPG or RPG related announcements from the Nintendo Direct that I was aware of. We did also get a uh, Adam might have a, co a couple comments on this. We got some information in an English language press release for a Japanese release. And that is uh, coming in September. We're having the Japanese release of East 10 Nordics. And I'll we actually that. got we actually got an English uh, press release from uh, I believe it was Clouded <laughs> Leopard. So if you're not aware, Clouded Leopard Entertainment is a China or Hong Kong, I don't remember, based publisher of lots of games, but they do publish like the Chinese and Korean and Asian versions of Falcom games. And a lot of their press releases are in English, and not just for this series, but for other series also. It doesn't mean the games are going to be in English, even in Asia. They're not. Um, but we, this is actually the first English press release for East 10 Nordics which is sort of funny. It's like, oh, okay, I can just share the press release, even though this game's actual English version is probably like two years away at least. Um, and so this particular uh, like update of the game, it introduced a couple more characters. Falcom is kind of notorious for this, where they've already introduced like seven characters and like here's four more. Like we're getting into like some of the NPCs and maybe some of the villains of the game. There's, a, there's kind of a, one of the characters named Faria who is a woman as part of like the uh, the uh, tribe, the Balta Navy that you join or that you kind of work with. And then there's a couple of these um, Grieger characters who are like these immortal fishmen. There's like awesome yeah, <laughs> immortal fishmen. Yeah, they're like fishmen and they they don't die. They're immortal, I guess. That's great. Uh, like, uh, you know, I, I like how all five characters introduced here. For three of them, they're these Griegers. And it's age, question, 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 age, question, 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 age, question, question, question. Yeah. And then in terms of the game itself, they introduced the uh, growth tree, which they call the release line. And I'm not going to get into all the details here. It's but a skill tree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a skill tree slash maybe some sphere grid sort of elements there where you can attach different spots. And on the spots, you can put these seeds. And depending on what seeds you put in the spots, you can get different abilities. Yeah. So I'm not going to get into the Sounds, weeds here, yeah. but... Uh, it seems it like sounds... a little bit of customization in how you set up your characters. Sounds and like your characters, characters are Adol and Karja. What I will say, based off the information we've been getting, is I can understand why... Well, I guess... I, I think Kondo even said as much that originally, like, Kuro 2 was not supposed to come out last year, but they had to have something because East 10 wasn't going to be ready. And, like, all the information we're getting about East 10 is, like, this makes sense. They've clearly put a lot more, like budget or like at least like time budget into this game than like a lot of their most recent releases i wish they have more games than just yisen and kiseki you know i feel like relying two major franchises isn't sustainable enough in my opinion well, by the re 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 uh, yeah well, by the tokyo xanadu switch port 
<laughs> and Falgana. Yeah, uh, I wonder when we'll get announcements of those and who will do them. We sure. won't. Does Marvel does Marvelous uh, slash Exceed have something at Anime Expo? Let me check. I don't think they do. I don't think they're even at yeah. Anime Expo this year. I feel their relationship has already been soured. Oh yeah, it, it, it was. It was like they out. Like I was outright told the only reason they did the Cold Steel one and two PS4 ports is because Falcom went to them and said, "Hey, you want to publish these?" And for them, it was basically free money because it was very very little that they had to do on their end. Uh, but yeah, other than that, if you're not they... aware, I know Falcon fans are very aware, but if you're not, um, East the Oath and Falgana, which got a Switch port a couple months ago in Japan, that was originally published by Exceed. Uh, Tokyo Xanadu, which uh, is getting a Switch port right around now. It's either just released or it's just about to release. Yeah, um, it's, uh, I think it came out a month ago or oh, like a couple weeks ago. Anyways, that one uh, was published by uh, Axis Games. So... Okay, it comes out on June 29th, so... No. Oh, wait, I was thinking Falgana. Sorry. Yeah. I still, so, I, we'll still feel, I still feel bad about how that all went down, because it's very, very clear that the main reason why, like, the domino effect that led to uh, XC losing, like, Falcom's main, like, projects was uh, they, they didn't do Tokyo Zandu, because they were told, hey, because at, at, to- at that time, they had right of first refusal, and they were like, oh... Like, obviously, Falcom went to them and said, hey, we want you to do Tokyo Zandu. And they said, we don't want to do a Vita exclusive. Uh, if Falcom had just let them know that won't be a problem or even said anything, they would have done it. And then they probably would have done Cold Steel 3 for Reverie and all that. It, it kind of sucks for them. <laughs> yeah. And one of, the, one of the main things that I like about this East 10 little update is, like, announcing these minor characters or that the fact that it has a, a skill tree is kind of whatever, but there's a lot of screenshots that it is because it's kind of nice because, you know, two months ago, we barely had an idea of what this game really looked like. So now just, I just appreciate that we have a bunch of new artwork and screenshots for this game, which makes sense because it's coming out in like two and We've a half We've been months. getting a ton of trailers and they've been mm-hmm. like actually looking really like good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, it, it doesn't I'm feel like that long ago when Adam had to stitch together some stream footage to actually throw up on the YouTube and be like, here's what the game actually looks like. So before we yeah. go into like um, sales updates and a few other announcements and a lot of release dates, uh, Cullen has to step out. So we're going to go ahead and see him off. Thank you so much for stepping on to talk about your time with uh, Final Fantasy 16. Yeah, glad to always uh, fun to have time to come on the podcast. Will you share Loop 8 with us sometime? No. No, I will not. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Obviously, we'll have to talk about it during the Game of the Year podcast. That's true. It's pretty Game of the Year. Poop 8 sweep. Let's go. Can we give an, a reward for worst RPG of the year? I think we used to. <laughs> well, it, it feels a little mean. It's disappointment. And then we decided not no, to. I yeah. feel like people really hate doing those things because some people might like the game and people hate hearing people shit on the game that they like. So I understand that. Absolutely. But it's I mean spirited, some but sense. something's got to come off the list first. Yeah, I, I do always like enjoy in a, the smallest way people who have been like obsessed with hype cycles and then seeing reviews just being like, oh, this loop eight game sucks. And then see all those people go, oh, bros, I don't know if this one's it after all. <laughs> but uh, uh, realistically, yeah, it's uh, just mainly a disappointing game. Oh, well, but yeah, so um, 
appreciate being on the podcast and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. I'll talk to y'all later. Thank yeah, you. Good Clive Hive. But Clive Hive, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Um, so pretty much all the rest of the headlines here either deal with a sales update or a release date. I'm going to, sh- I have them in chronological order, but I'm going to shunt this one up ahead. And that is, I almost forgot that this was announced back in uh, late last year, actually, on December 31st, the announcement of a Fate action RPG spinoff being developed by uh, Koei Tecmo and Omega Force and being published by Type Moon called Fate Samurai Remnant. Went dark for a while, but then kind of had an incidental upload of a Japanese trailer. Then it got pulled down. Then it got re-uploaded under a few other channels, then got pulled down. And then finally, got formally announced that Fate Samurai Remnant will be releasing on September 29th worldwide, September 28th in Japan, uh, with a new trailer and a lot of detail about the new characters. Uh, I will hand it over. I've only seen the original Fate anime, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But well, I'll hand this more than most people. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need to watch, uh, what's the second one? Unlimited Blade Works. Well, as I understand it, this spinoff is like a new... It's original story, yeah. So ...version. So it's like, it's got Fate like elements in it, but it's not like an adaptation of some other property. It's just kind of like its own thing. Yeah, it's like, it's like a know, Holy Grail War, but like in the Edo period. So it's You know very... what, Brian? I would have bought you which of the Holy Knight is a birthday present if I knew your address. <laughs> but I bought you some other original novel instead. Because I don't know your address. So, <laughs> so this new, this new uh, fate game. That, this, this new fate game. The main character is Miyamoto Iwari, um, you know, uh, adopted son of uh, Miyamoto Masashi. Um, and then the, they don't have uh, the formal names for like the the the, cla- the servants yet, which are like the people that fight for them in this uh, Holy Grail War. So you don't know, but, but you know some of the. Um, Obviously, some of the identities of these uh, people already because they're from other uh, fate works. Like you know, uh, Lancer is John Alter because uh, of her role in uh, Fate Grand Order. We know that Prince Berserker is not, is Miyamoto Musashi from Fate Grand Order in this one as well. We saw uh, a lot. We saw basically all the masters uh, participating in this uh, new Holy Grail War that's happening in Samurai Remnant, and a lot of their character designs. Um, so, you know, uh, it's kind of your standard stuff that you, you would expect to see in a Fate game. And then they saw, showed some of the designs of the servants in this uh, upcoming game. Like Ryder looks like a fucking samurai Gundam. Uh, Monstrosity looks kind of cool. And uh, the trailer has, like, you know, some more gameplay of, like, how, how it is. Apparently in this one, which is, like, a pretty cool twist to it, is, like, the masters fight alongside their servant, like, in, like in real time. So they kind of... You can like summon your servant and maybe like take control of them as well uh, in battle. I'm not exactly too sure. So uh, when I was looking at some of the responses to this news on our social feed, there is some anxiety or consternation or excitement or disappointment. Is this game a Musou game or not? I don't know. It, it, like there's <laughs> the, the, the way that like the trailer stitched together, it's hard to tell, right? Megaforce um, doesn't just make Musou games. I'm pretty sure it was a Megaforce that did Dragon Quest Builders 2. They just did Wild Hearts like earlier did, this year. Who did like Persona 5 Strikers? Is that a Megaforce? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, and that's and, and like even Persona 5 Strikers doesn't play like a standard Musou no, that, that game. That was my point. Yeah. So like they've been very they've been good at like varying up their the formula of like a standard, like, you know, Warriors game. So I I don't think so. Like it's I don't think it's a standard 
a Musou game if it is. But it's hard to tell from the trailer alone. But it, okay. it so you know, and there and there's like like uh like other activities to do too, like besides just like fighting out in the battlefield that they showed off. Like there's actually like a like almost like a daily life segment almost uh, in this game. There's a there's like a, a grimoire codex uh t- a character that reminded me of um the the labyrinth uh game and also uh near as well. Uh, the labyrinth game. Like, like Labyrinth of Refrain, Labyrinth of... Oh, those ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, the, the big news was a new trailer, um, new new screenshots and artwork in a trailer for this game. I'm looking and forward to... It. Yeah. And it's releasing in a very good time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's releasing uh, the same day as the Dragon Quest Die Infinity Strash game, alongside, like, a whole bunch of other fucking September releases. Uh, it's also releasing, like, what? If you're getting East Ten Nordics in, from Japan, it's also releasing on the same day as them, pretty much. So it's a it's a packed month. <laughs> but I want to play it's this a packed year from here on out. Pretty much, it's a, it's this year's always been packed. I mean, the last two years we've been eating good. I mean, I, I'm happy the... that there's a worldwide release. You know, it's eight games have gone for quite a fucking long way when it comes to like getting like the release mm. schedule lined up. So this is cool that there's a worldwide simultaneous release. And we'll go into the rest of the releases. We do have one sales update before I go into that. And that is the Outer Worlds. This is the Obsidian RPG from 2019. Has sold 5 million copies. And of course, they're working on the um, the sequel to that game. We also saw that Obsidian is working on uh, Avowed that we saw at the Xbox showcase just a couple weeks ago. Just to be clear, this 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 like detail was actually revealed about a month ago, but it was kind of tucked away in the uh, in Take Two's investor release. It was like in a graphic where they basically said, "Here's our five million selling you know franchises," and Outer Worlds is kind of like in the corner. Like, oh, I guess Outer Worlds <laughs> sold five million. Yeah, because okay. I guess uh, that was the last game released, uh, not published by Microsoft. It was published by yeah, because Outer Worlds Two and uh, Avowed are going to be right Microsoft. So. I got to imagine that the budget for Outer Worlds wasn't that high, that $5 million yeah. they're probably really happy with. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it seems like, I think we've talked about this before, I think Outer Worlds was not a great game, but a good game. Maybe it like, overstepped its scope a bit, so I wonder how, that's gonna might, how that might be changed for the sequel. We'll see. Into the releases. One that's already released at the time of recording is that the original English Fire Emblem for Game Boy Advance, released here as Fire Emblem called Fire Emblem The Blazing Blade with the full subtitle, is now on the Nintendo Switch Online Plus Expansion Pass library. Great game. I don't know if I, I like the idea of like having to subscribe to an online service in order to play it, but at least it's available to play on something that's not a GBA or an emulator, so that's good. Well, I mean, it is available to play on an emulator. Well, I mean, I mean, like, this is an option that's not an emulator. Is, is what I'm saying. Just be like me. Just get a real cartridge. There you go. Yeah. Old school. Hey, I, I even have this modified Game Boy right here. These these new screens are great, okay? It's better yeah, than what you get I from the my screen. original cartridge from middle school. There we go. Finally. <laughs> so, wow. Someone that sounds normal. <laughs> and I've been seeing... Uh, I don't know if he's updated recently, but watching Chow post his modifications and his little retro emulation things uh, in our forum post. 
in yeah, I, I love Child's Retro Journey. It's good to check up on it. It's now component cables for Dreamcast. Going to replace Sakura Wars again. Continuing in order, uh, in August, on August 8th, uh, Tower of Fantasy, which is a free-to-play MMO game from Perfect World Games, is launching on PlayStation. The interesting part about this, first of all, Tower of Fantasy kind of feels like we have Genshin Impact at home. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's, it's like sci-fi Genshin, pretty much. Um, I, I, well, there was a like, big Genshin news yesterday. Well, but... we'll get to that. But uh, Tower of Fantasy, this, the interesting thing about this is that it, it's already released for PC and mobile devices. This version, or I, should, I guess I should say that version, PC and mobile version, is published and operated by uh, Level Infinite, which is Tencent. This version, the, PS, the PlayStation version, is operated by Perfect World. And because they're like operated by two different companies, there's no cross anything between the two versions. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So they're the the the, the announcements, the details, and all the operations and all your like playing the game, there's no cross interaction, there's no cross save. Yeah, so there's no version pairing at all. Like they're all they're yeah. both on their separate set schedules. There's no unification or anything. And there probably won't be because of their arrangement anytime soon. Mm-hmm. What's sort of funny to me, and this is like, you know, stuff that I'm not fully aware how it works, is uh, if you go to the uh, official website for Tower of Fantasy, let me pull this up here. Uh, They mentioned like, it almost sounds like they were almost caught off guard from the (laughs) from the uh, the Perfect World announcement. let Let me read it here. This is from the official Tower of Fantasy website. Dear Wanderers. Recently, Perfect World announced that they will be bringing Tower of Fantasy to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 game consoles worldwide. Upon learning this news, we immediately contacted the Perfect World company to clarify, and they confirmed that Tower of Fantasy will be released and operated as a standalone version of the game, etc., etc. It is sort of funny how it almost feels like Tower of Fantasy itself was caught off guard. Dude, that sounds insane. Perfect World announcement. Like, oh, our our game is being published for PlayStation? That doesn't sound like confidence at all. So, uh, oh god, I had no idea that was like the way that they worded that too. What in the world? That's I that's like if that's like if I don't know. That's I don't even know how, how to come up with like an example of that. It's just very weird that our game is being published somewhere else and we didn't yeah, know. It's, it's like it's like, imagine if Honkai Star Rail got published to PlayStation, but it wasn't from Mihoyo. It was from some other it was from let's say Activision. And then on, on, on Honkai's official website, Mihoyo had to fucking contact us and say, it just came to our recent, it just came to our attention that Activision Blizzard is publishing Honkai Star Rail on PlayStation. <laughs> we, we didn't know either. We reached out to them. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? That's crazy. That's, I imagine that word, there was a lot of fucking drama and tension in the office that day. It probably still is. It's like, uh... That's weird. Video game publishing is weird, man. That's weird. Especially for MMOs. Oh. Uh, Continuing on, on August 10th, we're going to get the release date of Bancho Tactics. This is like a street brawler RPG that I believe that Josh played during one of the previous Steam festivals. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I tried out Steam Next first. I it was like I don't 
if it was like an early state or something. It was it was early. I'll I'll give it that. I really impressed me that much. It seemed very simplistic, but it was a very you know tiny showcase of it. So maybe it'll be it'll get better later on. But I wasn't too impressed with the uh, what I played the Steam Next Fest. The, the the concept is cool, but the execution is kind of lacking from what I tried out from the demo. The concept is it's a tactical RPG with a grid and everything. You play as like a delinquent. Or a yeah. delinquents. Yeah, it's like Japanese delinquent, delinquent which I guess yeah. that's the word Bancho is like Japanese delinquent. Pretty much. So, yeah. So, and they, they're yeah. usually stereotyped with like the pompadour mm-hmm. <laughs> in media. Yeah, like, they just, just, Josuke Higashikata and yeah, the guy he is from, a Bancho. And yep. then the, the one from Aegis Rim, I forget his name. And there's, there's, there's a lot of them, one in like Psycho <laughs> and a few others. And they like to kneel down and like look tough when they're kneeling down, you know. Mm-hmm. Also in August, on August 15th, we'll have the PC release of Hammer Watch 2. I'm very familiar with this game, but it seems like there's a certain like co-op PC crowd that likes this like Hammer Watch. It's like a co-op pixel-based action RPG sort of game. So I'm not very familiar with it. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it either. The, the name sounds familiar, but I've never really looked into it. It seems pretty cool from the, what the trailer shows, though. And later this year, they did reaffirm the publisher is Modus Games um, that a Switch and a PlayStation version are in the works and slated for this year uh, and Xbox as well. So all the consoles. But this Hopefully is the, PC, the PC release for August. Hopefully they don't have like a no publisher catches them off guard with the console yeah. version. Are games coming on Switch, right? <laughs> Used to us. Going into September, on September 14th, we have a double whammy. We have the Baton Kaitos one and two HD remaster. This was the surprise uh, yeah. remaster that was announced like back in February. It will be launching on September 14th. Uh with no no big games launching shortly before that at all. So it's a very good time oh. for, for Baton Kaitos. It's a Switch exclusive, just to be yeah. clear. Mm-hmm. Which that's kind of interesting because like uh, developed by Monolith Soft, which of course is a Nintendo studio now, but originally published by Namco, right? Is it Namco? Well, or is it Capcom? I think I, th- I think it's kind of unclear. For example, Baton Kaito's Origins, if it was published by Nintendo back in the day or in the West, like how much control they have over the name, and like who actually owns it. Is it Bandai Namco or is it Nintendo? And then obviously being partly developed by Monolith Soft, which is now owned by Nintendo, but it, I don't think it was at the time. It's a little bit strange. Yeah, so Namco yeah. is on the box art, but of course, and they're the ones was, was always a GameCube exclusive at the time. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of interesting. There's a lot of like weird like new features that they're adding to this. Obviously, like a fast forward that lets you like speed up like, uh, like game and battles field up to like 300%, which is good. Like I like that. But I, I, go for it. I I listed these out uh, a couple months ago because they were all listed out on like the uh, Southeast Asia page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah have... there's literally like a, a one hit kill sort setting where you just blitz through everything if you're just replaying the game, basically God mode, I guess. A few huh. others. Yeah. So yeah. and then just like one where you can just go through through the game with like no encounters. You just want to travel without any random mm-hmm. encounters. So yeah, I mean they just showcased it again in the trailer. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, they showed like... it in the trailer for the first time. And, like, yeah. So. Uh, so if you haven't, very brief opinion of the games. I think the second game is a much better game overall than the first. But the first one has like one of the best. Um, it's got a very interesting twist in it, which is very cool. Yeah. 
Also on September 14th, if Bait and Kaitos isn't your jam, uh, you can apply Mugen Soul Z is launching there for Nintendo Switch on the same date. Don't we got a review from Zach back in the day for yep. Mugen Souls? Well, they got like a 10, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Damn. Uh, only a 9. <laughs> Wait, what? Are you serious? Was it a 9? I think he gave it a 7. Like, no, it's a 9. What? <laughs> Come on, Zach. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, you know, slim pickings back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Fair to Final Fantasy 16, I, according to the <laughs> I mean, opinions are opinions, but I know, but still, that's very funny. Uh, we already talked about at the end of September on the 29th, uh, Fate Samurai Remnant is releasing in October. We're getting the release date, at least in the West, for Cry Machina. Um, and this was actually a game. I didn't, I didn't call it out at the start of this podcast, but James actually put up a, a small feature on Cry Machina. You were able to see it at least in some, uh, uh, to some extent. I played the opening, Fest. like, well, not during Summer Games Fest. It was right before that. Uh, oh, okay. so ba- basically the Tuesday before Summer Games Fest, uh, uh, I was invited to NS America's office to, uh, preview some of their upcoming games. Uh, they had five games there. But it was only like about an hour, like an hour and a half, two hour session. And most of it was like obviously focused on the Sky of Seven. So they were like, hey, which games are like the most important ones for you to cover? Because and I said, well, I've already played Monochromobius on PC and I've played your PC version of Nyuto. So let's focus on the Sky of Cry Machina and the Rhapsody games, which is what I put up features about. So. Mm-hmm. How's Cry came- Machina? Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to get a like cons- like an actual like strong impression from like only 20 minutes at the very beginning. But yeah. the one thing I can say is that combat is way better than I expected. Like it's really? legitimately really good. What the fuck? Okay. Yeah. Who's developing this game again? I forget. It's the it's not gem drops. It's the Caligula effect, folks. But it's, like, but it's but yeah, but it's action combat, which is different from Caligula effects. That's so. true. Uh, Aquaria yeah. or something like that. Aquaria. Yeah, no. yeah, it's like um, yeah. I was surprised. Like even early on in like the beginner move set, it was like, oh no, this has like a uh, perfect dodges. It has air. Like it has like you can juggle enemies in the air. Like it has a really interesting thing where like the bumpers like like. If you look at some of the character designs for like the 3D models, you'll see that there's like these like guns over like either of their shoulders and like the bumpers are what send those out. But there's like different guns you types you can swap out depending on if you're like closer to the enemy, like mid range, far range. And it's like. Again, very brief, but just from the little I play, I was like, this is way better than I was expecting. Like this is legitimately this this might there might be something here. Mm, So I'm I'm curious to see more. I'm curious to see. So this game is coming out actually in Japan, I believe in July. Let me check. Yeah, yeah July 27th. Late July. And then October 24th in North America and October 27th in... Uh, Pretty quick turnaround. Hmm? Pretty quick turnaround for a non-like... Ooh, yeah, for... Yeah. And I guess while we're here, um, because we went um, at the start of this podcast, we went right into Final Fantasy 16 talk. Uh, deservedly so. But James has put up several. We have talked about a lot of the features he put up over the last couple of weeks, but he's been still churning them out over the last seven days. Talked about uh, Cry Machina. <laughs> yeah, talked about Cry Machina. He did mention briefly uh, his time with Disgaea 7. Yep. 
So he put up a preview on that, which is slated to come out also in early October. Uh, you also put up a feature on Sandland. So I forget if you're on the podcast where this was announced, but we talked about this being kind of a surprise announcement of the um, uh, a rendition of the Akira Toriyama one shot manga. I would have not because that weekend was Summer Games Fest. So gotcha. I was probably uh, actually I can check uh, to see for sure, but I might have been playing it when you were still on the podcast. Uh, one second. But I remember for Sandland, uh, the initial trailer for it, I remember kind of giving it praise because it's our first time that like this was the announcement of this game. As far as I know, we didn't know this game existed, but it was like a pretty thorough trailer to get us like a lot of different varied styles of gameplay, a lot of art, a lot of environment. And it was pretty lengthy, like it, sh- it showed quite a bit. So I-, I remember that being kind of pretty impressive, all the different vehicles and environment. Well, I say all the different environments, all the different types of desert environments uh, that you play through in this game. So what was your did you go hands on with this one? Yes, I did. Uh, it was actually really kind of difficult to get hands on. But that's the story for another day. Uh, but yeah, it was a very brief, like 15 minute hands on. So it's like I realistically wasn't able to talk about too much. So the thing I kind of honed in on is these vehicles don't feel perfect, but it feels intentional. And that's kind of neat because it makes sense because you're driving on a bunch of sand, like over sand dunes. Like it would be weird if you had perfect traction. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, it's, it seems interesting. But again, um, we had like 15 minutes, so not too much you can glean from that. You can read my like uh, preview to see what I thought about it. But uh, yeah, interested to see more because it's like, I believe they said it's, this is like an Unreal Engine 5 title. Oh, wild. Yeah. Well, what the fuck? Yeah. But yeah, and we'll the, see. the last preview that we put up is you put up something for Armored Core 6. Yep. Yep. Uh, that was a hands off preview. The only people that actually got to play that at Summer Games Fest were folks that were part of the judging panel. And obviously, being a genre site, we were not. So, hmm. uh, it was hands off, but but between everything I saw and from talking with folks that had gotten hands on, yeah, it looks like it's going to be great. It's like, man, this year is just insane. It's insane. Like even like if nothing else came out this year, it would still be one of the best years for video games of all time. And there's still so much coming out. It's crazy. It's crazy. And Armored Core 6 uh, is lining up right in that same time span of all the other games in late August, August 25th. So not not explicitly under our coverage, but, you know, lots of us, at least a handful of us will be playing it as well. Yeah, I did do a uh, feature yesterday about the uh, another like NS America thing, the Rhapsody 2 and 3 um, remasters slash localizations. Where. Like I did play them and I did get to get a chance to um, to get on hands on and I put some like impressions, but for me, the main takeaway like playing those was, man, it it like it's almost really cool don't that, that <laughs> yeah, localizing a game that's more than 20 years old. Yeah, but it's like not even just that. Like, obviously, it's like the thing that really like stands out. But over the last like several years, like silently, like almost like and I America has been like the shining example of a company like just straight up, like preserving its legacy between all of like the Perny present stuff and like just all of the like ports of older titles like. They're still putting out new stuff, too, but it's like more companies should be respecting their legacy like this and like bring these games to more modern platforms. And obviously, they're not perfect. We've even talked in the past about how some of these collections have had bugs at launch, but it's like still 
the fact that they're doing this at all when most companies just don't is like it, it should be commended. It should be. I know so. the Rhapsody port was done by Engine Software and is apparently one of the best, better ones, like compared to the Penny Presents. Yeah. So I know that one's considered pretty good, at least from what I've heard. Yeah. From what I understand, like usually it's been just the Switch versions of those games that have had had, had issues, and like the PC versions of any of the ones that got PC versions have been pretty damn good. So that's good. Yeah. And then the last bit of news here: it's a game we haven't heard about in over a year, or just about a year. Uh, Flintlock: The Siege of Dawn has been pushed back from a 2023 date to a 2024 date. So. There's plenty coming out in 2023, so let it cook. Let it breathe in 2024. And that's all the headlines that I have for this week. So obviously a very clear and concise podcast in terms of the topics that we wanted to discuss. Had a very thorough, nice discussion on, of course, Final Fantasy 16. Probably not the last time we'll be discussing that game in this format. And then, of course, all the surprise announcements. You know, last week we could not even predict that a Nintendo, well, I guess you could predict that a Nintendo Direct would happen, but it was announced. We got all the news up. So, big shout out to Adam, Josh, and a few others that all made sure that all that information got synthesized and put up on the site. And so, we have all the release dates and all the release windows and all the platforms all put together for all those new games. And of course, now we're looking at a release date calendar and weeping that our family is not going to see us in September because we'll have too much to do. But for all the news and as well as all the features that James was able to go through here at the end, those can all be found at rpgsite.net. You can also go to rpgsite.net. I know Colin, Alex, and others have been working to put together a lot of useful guides for those playing Final Fantasy 16. Uh, I'll, I'll shout out the ones that I've been using are just the quest list and the hunt list. Just very useful to have on a second monitor just to make sure that you're not missing anything. But as well as... The and honestly, and honestly, that's like... If you're playing through 16, realistically, that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. And then also uh, all the other news sites as well, a uh, news post as well up on rpgsite.net. You can find us on all the social media platforms at uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to search for RPG site and you should be able to find us. You can join our Discord by hitting the Discord icon at the top of our homepage or going to discord.gg slash RPG site. And we will be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. So until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. We'll talk to you all later.